This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. My name is Lisa Traeger. Hello. Hello, Lisa. My name is Kara Clank. And um, you know what we do here on this podcast. We talk SVU. We talk real crimes. We talk to a, you know, amazing actor or person involved in an SVU episode. And today we've got a good one for you, as usual. But before all that, we just chat. Um, what is going on? We banter. I mean, we're like, we're in the ultimate time machine. I would say that. So hopefully we'll get on a rhythm soon, but maybe not because I'm going to go to Finland for a week. So (laughs) (laughs) we'll just always be in intergalactic space floating and some, you know, what is time and anything, you know? Yeah. It's spring break. It was spring break last week. So we're taping this a little bit in advance so that we can spring break a little bit. And um, did you ever go on like a really wild spring break, Lisa? I did not. That was not part of my existence as a human. Yeah. Did you go to Daytona? No, no. I went to Cancun when I was a senior. I don't know if I've talked about it on this podcast before. And then the mom got food poisoning. That was the chaperone. Yeah. Our chaperone mom had to come with us. I mean, it was like gross. Like, I can't believe I even went. Like, I can't believe it because it seemed so fun. But like, we just got like drunk and like made out with random people. It was just like a wild time. But it is what everyone else is doing. So I think I'd rather go on a more, I don't know, off the beaten path spring break one Does day. Does MTV still do spring break shows? Like, do they still go and gyrate on a stage next to the ocean? You know what? They like didn't when I was there, but I also think that MTV can like license its name out to stuff. So it's possible that there is like an MTV spring break festival type thing that's just not televised. You know what I mean? Like, but they're definitely not doing the grind and like the fucking kids going nuts at 
Daytona, probably, right? Or somewhere in Florida. Like, they're not... I don't, City, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think that that's going down on MTV anymore. But, Wait, oh, it's on least... MTVU. Okay. I can't wow. believe MTVU still exists. I used to apply for jobs there when I was what at MTV. What is it? It was originally MTV, like, university, like, for college age. Like, they were trying to make sort of college programming. And then I don't... I did not even know it still existed, to be honest. So... I think that it's just targeted at the college set, but damn. You know. Yeah, I um yeah, I don't it just wasn't a thing for me. I wonder. This is funny that MTV just totally came up organically in this conversation because we do talk about it a lot more later in the episode. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> I like did not even do that on purpose at all. Uh I just wanted to know if you had ever gone to like, yeah, Daytona and done a wet t-shirt contest, but I guess I understand that that was probably not going to happen with your parents? No, I didn't even go on school. It just like wasn't a part of my life, but I would, um, I, I'm also more of a rent a house and let's not leave type of yeah, person. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. When I watch The Real Housewives and they have like a, a house with a pool on the beach with a staff, like that to me is the perfect vacation. I do not Absolutely. need to go anywhere. Um, I mean, I guess I'll go to a jungle if you if you take me on a Jeep, but I I like a lounge. Like, I don't... The idea of Miami and, like, club hopping and going from place to place is not, like, a fun experience in my head. No, no. I think when I was 17, I could handle yes. it. But, like, now I absolutely, like, will not do that stuff. And what you're describing is perfect. Like, my bachelorette party was 48 hours in a house in Palm Springs. No one left. Like, we did not go anywhere. One person went to do yoga. I'll tell you off camera who it was. I know um, who it was. But, <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to go anywhere. I want the company to be good and I want everything at the house and that's it. Yeah. And I remember like in my late teens, early 20s, I would go nightclubbing and hate every second of it and think something was wrong with me. And then you realize like, oh, we could all just like different things. I don't know yeah. why I kept forcing clubbing into my life. Like, I don't know why I wore heels, spent $80 on Patron shots every night, just like... Waited in uh, lines. Uh, yeah, I just don't know why I thought that that's what I needed to do to have fun. And I, w I would always sneak to the bathroom and just stand there and like, like and I didn't even have cell phones, I don't think, at that point. <laughs> no, I did. But it wasn't as, you know, it's it didn't entertain us as long. But... I was just miserable at these places. And now I realize like, oh, I don't have to do that. Yeah. I can just go dance at a chiller place. Oh my God, I'm just getting like a flashback. Do you remember Movember? Like most mustache Movember? Yeah. Like men yeah. grow a mustache. So I was at a nightclub competition and my friend and I put on milk mustaches and ordered white Russians. And we were like... <laughs> competing, like all these women, we all had mustaches for testicular cancer. I don't know. I just had like a wild memory flood wow, into my life. that really <laughs> popped back in. Well, um, yeah. <laughs> Neither yeah. here nor there. I don't even know if it's a good or bad story. It's just like truly neutral. Like, it's just a neutral memory that <laughs> came to my like mind. It sounds like you were doing what you could for testicular cancer, and I appreciate that. Thank um, you. <laughs> What else is going on? What else do we I have mostly, happening? Yeah, I liked the after party. I liked uh, getting McDonald's as the sun came up in a car. Like, that's what <laughs> that's what nightclubbing yeah. meant for me. But it's interesting watching my niece. She was like, um, when I saw her last week, like wanting to go to this diner that I used to go to after homecomings and stuff. And it's so interesting that it's the same activities passed oh, down yeah. from high school to high school. I just saw getting 
food on my own late at night was the height of coolness. Like just so fun. Diners, so fun. Baker Square was big for us. Oh, yeah. Do you, was that never a part of I don't of know what your, that is. You've what never is heard that? of Baker Square? Never in my life. What is that? Oh, they had like a whole big stack of pies, like a table menu of pies. So each day they'd have like oh. 30 different pies. But I would get this like Chinese chicken salad. Like, you know, they'll throw some crunchy sesame things and call it a, an Asian salad. I would love <laughs> I would love it there. And we would all get pies. And there was a Reese's pie and a French silk and all. You know, I can name pies all day. But it was... It was just the place open late that had diner food and like, I, I'll say pies again. Yeah, that's it. What is your number one pie again? I, I would always switch it up, but I love uh, a lemon, a coconut, a banana cream. Like I like a creamy, yeah. fruity pie, I would say. I think this might be our second combo, probably during one of our pre-Thanksgiving shows we've yeah. talked about pies, but I just wanted to uh, to get a quick refresher. But if someone um, has a blueberry pie with a delicious crust, like I love a crust. I love yes. pie crust. Oh I would gosh. just... Can they just sell pie crust crispies in a bat? I would eat that all day. <laughs> like pie croutons. Yeah. Oh my God. Hello, sharks. My Hello, name is sharks. Lisa Traeger. And here's my idea for pie croutons. Well, I love ice cream with chunks of pie in it, like that, like uh, with pie crust in it. I don't know how often that happens, but it is yeah. like, sorry to go about pies. What diner did you have? Just like a local one that was called Bull's Head in, Bulls in Stamford, Head. Connecticut, that we would go to all the time. And I loved it. I think it's still there. Um, I've took I've taken Jared there. I was like, hey, come to this diner I went to in my high school days. But um, yeah, and then there was one called Post Road Diner. Like just they were all local, like not chains or anything. They were just like local to our area. No, we that and shit was good. Donuts, prank calls. But life doesn't change. <laughs> like I still, you know, we still just do that. Yeah. Yeah. We still just go eat somewhere just at a different hour. I mean, I did <laughs> go drinking last night with the boys and it was fun. Yeah. Well, once you go to this bar with a regular, you know, Zach is such a regular. Yeah, they he treat wasn't you there like, last night. Yeah. But I didn't have to start a tab. She was like, oh, honey, I got you. Don't worry. Bringing drinks to the table. And it's like all fake. And it's obviously because I was with another person and I try to tip well to get a favorable treatment. But... It feels good, nonetheless. It feels, it's funny that our friend who is the regular there just like put in the legwork and now everyone else is reaping the benefits, you know? (laughs) Like he's not, it's not like he's a famous person where they're like, oh, you're friends with him. It's like he just came into that bar a lot and made his name for himself. (laughs) Yeah. And now they're like, oh, you're with him. Like, you know, it's got um, Moe's vibe, right? Oh, that's cute. I'm trying to do a Simpsons reference. (laughs) That's so sweet. It does. I mean, it's not as depressing. Mo is truly suicidal at every moment. But um, no, where everyone knows your name. I don't know if they know my name. I don't need them to. I just want... I just I want, want you to, to know my special. drink order where everybody knows I like vodka soda. That's your Cheers theme song. <laughs> yeah, but I switch it up. You know I switch it up. Oh, but yeah, it that's was right. You like yesterday. whiskey and yeah. It was because, you know, I met. I went to Bottega Louie. What is it? Oh, how was it? It's beautiful in there. Is it beautiful? I I mean, I've literally waited for this restaurant to open for four years. I kept saying, I can't wait to go there. And then I moved out of the neighborhood before it ever opened. And you would love it because it's pastas, simple pastas. But they just have beautiful cake displays, frosted, gorgeous, like... 
They wow. just and macaroons, like very beautiful dessert counters. That's so interesting in West Hollywood, where like everybody's so body conscious in West Hollywood that they would be like desserts. <laughs> no, who I had to, yeah, but that's what they're bringing to the dinners. They're not eating it. This is like gifts. Like you would bring a cake to a party, but the person I had dinner with oh, does not eat it. carbs. Does not eat carbs at all. Um, and I said, well, maybe on your birthday or. And he said, absolutely not. The only time I'll eat an, a, uh, eat a carb is if I'm wasted in New York at 2 a.m. and I walk and I find pizza and that is it. Wow. He does not. And he said, it's tough to be a gay man. Uh, but I was That's like, you self- are speaking to a woman, but okay. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, he just doesn't eat. He's Victoria Beckham. He just doesn't do it. He's a Kelly Ripa in his spirit. There's no, yeah. cheat, no cheat moments. But I get it. Kelly Ripa said, you know, once you take one, then it's the next. And she likes to stay ready. And I get that. Because once yeah. you get a little taste, it's it's hard to stop. You're dead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I feel that. But I would just I be sad. Like Victoria Beckham, instead of cake for her birthday, does a watermelon cake. And it's just a piece of watermelon shaped like a cake. And I was telling my dinner date that. And he was like, ooh, I love that. And I'm like, you would, you fucking sicko. You want it just, just a piece of watermelon? I just don't get how, like, that's, is that what, is, are you going to have enjoyed everything when you are done with life? Like saying I never had birthday cake on my birthday? Yeah, some people just enjoy other things. I guess, yeah. Well, because what I also learned was Ciroc vodka is made out of grapes. I didn't know that. Oh, is that better for you or worse for you? Or what? what's the point of that? It's like I wine know. vodka? <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. Just another neutral comment. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I had a bottle of Ciroc in my apartment in New York for such a long time that I don't know where it came from, but we used to always be like, Ciroc, diddy shit. We would like always talk about this bottle of Ciroc and then I don't even know if we ever drank it. Wait, it was definitely it- a flavor. If it's April 19th, I do have to give a shout out. It is my sister's birthday and Aries true and true. Happy birthday to another Aries queen with my Rosie. Yeah, it's exciting. She's on the 19th. Her birthday is always around Passover and she was never allowed to have delicious cakes. Does she ever listen to this podcast? I doubt it. I mean, she yeah. has so <laughs> much to do. My sister doesn't. <laughs> I just can't imagine her having time to listen to hours of me talk when we barely even talk on the phone. Like, it would just be <laughs> shocking. <laughs> it would be shocking to find out. But, you know, I bet there's some secret surprises around the corner. Yeah, my sister loves SVU too. I just, um, I don't think she's much of a podcast gal. But uh, maybe one day our sisters will love us. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> they do other things. When is your sister visiting? Is it in the time It'll machine be right now? In the time machine, it's right now. <laughs> <laughs> She's sitting here with me as we speak. Yeah, I can't wait to meet her. I have to come back. Yeah, I'm excited to meet a Clank girl. I've Another Clank, met- yeah. Well, because I've only met Colin, and you know how we kind of fight about, you know, the duck. <laughs> That marks the fourth or fifth time you've brought up the duck on this podcast. (laughs) So I can't wait to see what your sister orders and judge her fiercely. Oh, no, she'll be good. She won't disappoint you, I don't think. Wait, did I tell you that I got a gift package, like a PR package, and a, a Polaroid camera with film? No. A Polaroid camera. For that HBO show? Yes, the Minx. Thank you to the Minx uh, PR department for finding me on Instagram and sending me multiple vibrators and uh, a Polaroid camera. Wow. Those are pricey, those boxes. Yeah, and there's an attachment to it and a rose quartz dildo. I mean, it's kind of like, 
So it was a good, and it came in a picnic basket. So maybe we'll do an old style picnic day or something <laughs> at the park. And yeah, just remove all the dildos, put in food and baguettes and stuff. Yeah, that'll be fun. We can eat some peanut butter out and about. <laughs> um. All right. Do you have other little tidbits before we move on to this great episode? Well, yeah. Our friend Danny Palumbo on Instagram posted that he got to try the Van Leeuwen Kraft macaroni and cheese ice cream. So I am pretty envious of that. I can't imagine what that tastes like, but I would love to try it. The food scientists are really flexing their muscles. I had Parmesan ice cream in Italy one time. And? It was good, but it was like on the side of like a meal. It was like at a fancier restaurant, you know, so it kind of complimented. I wouldn't like go into an ice cream parlor and be like, two scoops of Parmesan, please, you know, but it was, it was interesting. It was cool. So, wow, I'll go try that. That sounds neat. What did he say? What did he say? He liked it? He said it was interesting and he liked it. Got it. That's all I got from him. That's one of those situations where I write constantly and I get very few responses. If <laughs> It's like my seek treatment messages. I'm constantly writing to him and he's just like, <laughs> okay, it was fine. <laughs> the food was good. What do you want from me? And I'm just like, ooh, poor. Like, I don't know. I just <laughs> am always writing to him. I have no shame on Instagram. It's really wild. People will just truly just heart stuff for months and I just keep on bothering them. But... <laughs> I want to be heard. I want to be heard. I like it. You're getting your thoughts out. I wasn't heard as a child and I want to be heard. I don't know. (laughs) I have no idea. Well, we have an awesome episode coming up and a really, really fun guest. So stay tuned. All right, everyone. We're doing Decline and Fall. It's season 18, episode nine. I'm excited. Um, And we're opening up on a hardcore fondant cake, okay? (laughs) (laughs) People are singing, you know, the song, the birthday song. Um, And it says, happy birthday, Lawrence, from all of us. And wildly, the cake is Ukrainian colors. So they were, you know. SVU always ahead of its time. Always. (laughs) Always. Prescient. (laughs) And then there's, you know, they pull away and there's two hot model types, one brunette, one blonde. And they're both, again, wearing Ukrainian flag colors and bodycon dresses. So, uh, yeah, my brain's in one thing. And now there's an old man in a tie. And we get the, that's probably Lawrence, okay? He gets in between the girls and he says, what a treat. And the cake, too. So we get a little grimy grandpa vibe. (laughs) Everyone at the party is in office attire, business outfits. No one's, like, dressed sex, like... The, yeah, it's he a little bit friends. of a work party. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he starts a speech about feeling young and loving his employees. And one day the company is going to go to his lovely daughter, Cynthia. And then we meet a young man with no tie, top button, unbuttoned. And he looks about 17 and he's talking to the old man. We learn that's his grandson. That's Lawrence's grandson, but not Cynthia's child. The family lineage in this episode gets confusing. Were you confused or you kept it going? He has two kids. Cynthia's one and the other one is a guy and it's his kid. Yeah, it's his son's kid. Well, it was confusing for me. (laughs) Uh, But then later he goes, oh, my nephew. And I was like, oh, so Cynthia's not your mom. But yeah, Yeah. so I just wanted to clarify. Now, um, he asked his granddad like, hey, intro me to one of those hot chicks. And granddaddy goes, nah, you got to do it on your own. Um, like build up your confidence. And then he says something bad and says, go easy on the spirits and stay sharper than your target. Not good. Not good. He sets his sights on a bartender, cocktail waitress girl. Um, He's really nervous. There's a pickup line. She's working. But at the end, 
they're getting on. He's chatting as she's wiping down glasses. They're having a good time. And he is, you know, bragging how wild it is to live with his grandfather in this penthouse. He offers a tour and she's scared of getting in trouble. But then she was like, oh, I guess my boss is smoking weed on the roof. And it's like, am I your boss? <laughs> so anyways, <laughs> she agrees to the tour. And then he takes out a flask of some sort of fancy tequila. Um, and they share some tequila on a flask and they go on to like hang out in the penthouse. Cut to... Um, the camera is like on a beautiful view of Manhattan in the day, um, but also the noises of the city, sirens, garbage trucks, shit like that. And it pans out and uh-oh, our girl is passed out, shirt unbuttoned, groggy, confused, her pants around her ankles. She grabs her things and phone and runs the fuck away. Now we're cutting to the precinct and Mariska looks stunning. Yeah. Leather blazer with a half up, half down hairstyle and behind her, Carisi and Rollins are, um, you know, rolling up. Finn is taking the sergeant's exam, so he will not be here today. I wonder what Ice-T really had going on that day. Like, I wonder if it was like, oh, it's baby Chanel's birthday and I'm taking her to like Euro Disney or something. Like, I mean, there's definitely a reason he's not in it. Like, he had something. He had something. Maybe a body count concert. (laughs) Yeah, we'll ask him one day. We'll be like, remember (laughs) that one episode in season 17, 18, whatever this is? Uh, Where were you? (laughs) Where were you? Um, okay. Mariska sees the girl walk, uh, walking in. So now the caterer bartender is walking in. Mariska sees her and immediately says, can I help you? And she's like, I think I was raped. But she doesn't remember anything. Credits. We're back at the hospital. Our victim's in a hospital robe now. And she was bartending, you know, all she remembers is she was bartending the birthday party of an old guy from Avalon stores. And Mariska goes, Lawrence? So he's famous. He's well-known. I guess these Avalon stores are very exciting. She's uh, bartending to pay for school. And she loved the view. And that's all she can remember. And she says she just woke up in the middle of the living room, sore, pants down. There is semen in the rape kit. She's like, I knew it. I must have been drugged or something. So they're going to test the urine and the blood and we'll see what's what. But she also says, like, I wouldn't drink at work. And even if I did, that's not how I would act. Like, that's not really my energy and personality. Yeah, like, I wouldn't drink enough to be, like, fully blacked out and have zero memory. Yeah, she remembers, uh, like, talking to a young guy, but doesn't remember name or anything. She just remembers he had a nice smile. So now it's Amanda, Carisi, and Benson trying to figure this shit out. Uh, And, you know, they're doing research on the computer. Stock is sinking. He's stayed on past his prime. His business is not doing great. He has a new girlfriend who is at the party named Suzanne Daly, and that's after his four divorces. So I think her name is Sue Ann. What did I say, Susan? You said Suzanne. And I just think it's funny to say Sue Ann because it's such a weird name. Sue Ann. Yeah, she also looks like eight different actresses. It's yes. one of those. It's like, are you this one? No, or this? No. Okay, well, I'm confused now. Yeah. So will I say Sue Ann or not? We'll see. But she's not a huge part. Okay, guys, it's just trying to show that he's a dumb slut. And Benson um, calls him a geriatric playboy billionaire, which I love. And all they have to go on is that there was a young man that smiled. So that's this is going to be a tough investigation. <laughs> so they ha- need to get a list of everyone under 30 at that party. Um, so we go on to the Avalon store headquarters. But the receptionist says since they didn't do the party, like the household did the party. So she doesn't have any info. 
But Lawrence enters the chat and starts flirting with Rollins immediately. And they're like, babes, we got to talk who's at the party. He says, I was at the party. And then Cynthia pops right up and is like, oh, hello, what's up? Can I help? That's my daddy. (laughs) And Cynthia says, oh, everyone was old. And then Lawrence brings up Eric, his grandson, fine young boy who lives with him. He's And it's so, it's just fucked up that he wouldn't ask for a lawyer. He's such a like high-end businessman who's old, but also like, why are you putting your grandson in the mix of an investigation? It just doesn't seem like that doesn't make sense to me. Um, But Eric's working at the office. So the cops go talk to him. And Eric recognizes the girl from the photo. He says they hung out. He says they had consensual sex. Cynthia says, oh, well, this girl's just confused and just sees a rich target. So go fuck yourselves. And with these rich people, they're acting like poor people don't get raped. It's like so weird when they're always like, it's just our money. It's like, I don't. Yeah. Then then poor people wouldn't be getting raped and raping. Like, stop it. No one cares. Also, do you know you could also like try to throw yourself down the stairs at a party like that and sue a person like to just like pretend you've been raped and like, I don't, it's, or have sex with someone. It seems like a lot to go for just extortion when there's other ways. Yeah, you know, and check out Kara's new book, How to Extort. It's coming out yeah, in 2023. <laughs> I'll show you how to sl- soft roll down those stairs, but get a small injury. It'll be on my Instagram. And then Rollins gets a ping on her phone and we got some info and we need you down at the station. And Cynthia's like, please do not go. And Erica's not, nah, I'm good. Like, everything's okay. I didn't do anything wrong, I swear. So everyone's in interrogation and then Eric suddenly is super confused because they found quaaludes in the victim's body. And he goes, isn't that an old person drug? Yeah, it is. (laughs) So how did they get there? Was she high with you? He says, no, we just had two tequila shots from this flask and I drank from it too. There's no way. Um, They talked, they went to his room and then they made out and she was into it and she did say yes. And, you know, like... They had consensual sex. And then he goes, I guess my grandpa's right. And you need a contract before you kiss a girl. So I bet, he, you know, Lawrence is really into cancel culture politics as well, I'm assuming. <laughs> this is, yeah, incels are not just young. Okay, so Eric's father barges into the room. He says, we're leaving. We're You're coming home with me, not to your grandfather's. And drags his son out. Um, his mother's in Italy. That's all we really know about her. Now, Benson says Barbara is getting a search warrant. So let's go. Oh, wait, can I also say something? A listener sent us a video, but they sent it to us in a way that like, once I watched it, I couldn't watch it again. But it is Benson saying Barbara in an episode. Well, please send that back to us, guys. Um, I send need it to, to us see as it. a permanent video. We need to see that. I'll I'll try to find the message and write back. But like, I was like, I watched it and was like, oh my god, we're not alone. <laughs> That's so amazing. So now we're at Fifty Fourth Street at the residence of Lawrence Hendricks, and the girlfriend's like, oh no, what should I do? Oh my god! And she's a bimbo. Love her. Did you find out if yes. she? Yes. Okay. She is? So she, I've seen in tons of stuff. So her name is um, Jackie Debaton or Debaton, and she's Elizabeth the stripper in many in like three episodes of The Office, which you might remember her from. But also, do you remember the character Doctor Armand on Kroll Show? Did you ever watch that? Yeah. Like, she plays his wife, I think. Like, she's like, I think she has like a bunch of like fake plastic surgery and stuff. Like, so I've seen her in a ton of stuff. She has a hundred credits. Like, this bitch works. Uh, The Kroll show was so good. Oh my God. I was like truly upset when it got canceled. I loved it so much. Like, I thought it was so good. Publicity. 
Yeah. I liked those girls with their straws. So good. Yeah, he's really talented. Yeah, I mean, I think he's putting it all into Big Mouth now, but I would love another sketch show in the future. But Yeah, I think he's just going to be working. We'll see him forever. You know, outside of Julia Louis-Dreyfus, I would say he's the second most talented um, comedic actor coming from a billionaire. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's from more money than him, I think. But, uh, but yeah. There's, billions I mean, are billions. I you mean, gotta <laughs> say, when there's nepotism... Well, I don't know. He might just be millions. Cole's no, dad. He's, billions. he's billions. He's like shipping. Like he's an heir of. Yeah. He's he's like a defense guy. Like he's. I've read a long article about him one time. Like he has. He's like the guy you go to. I don't know. He. I. I think he can, sounds a little scary. But anyway. Yeah, Nick. Can you tell your dad to get some weapons to Ukraine? That would be great. <laughs> Do a little conference call. You know what's funny is my brother always, um, Colin always says to Kevin, because my brother Kevin was in the military, he's like, Kevin, you majored in defense against the dark arts. Can you tell us what's going on in Ukraine right now? <laughs> I just like to talk about the military like it's defense against the dark arts. Okay, go on. You know, I messaged with your brother and uh, they said, he said that him and his fiance were debating about, again, getting two ducks and didn't because <laughs> of my bullying. Did you tell him that you were recently talking about the ducks again? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then I sent him duck emojis. I go, I was talking about this at the table at St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> Carisi finds condoms. We're back. Do you guys remember? We're at, <laughs> we're at the residences on 54th with a search warrant. Um, and we're in and the little, we're in the kids' room, right? Yeah. Eric. Yeah. The teen, yeah. The teen, so Carisi finds condoms and weed, but like no biggie. But then, uh-oh, they find pills. So they're going to send the pills to the lab and see what happens. Back at the precinct, Benson is with the victim and she's like, quaaludes? I don't even know what that is. And Benson explains it, that they induce a euphoric hypnotic state and memory loss. I just always think of, a, of Samantha going, it must have been the ludes or whatever. <laughs> Well, not only... Okay, so I, the rumor is Jane Fonda has quaaludes. So she might have quaaludes at her house. Quaaludes are what Leonardo DiCaprio's character was on at Wolf of Wall Street when he did some of the best acting I've ever seen and like bendy, bendy walking to his car. Like the most incredible acting. And then I think of quaaludes, I think of Hugh Hefner. Cause yeah, I think well, he I'm going to get into that. Them. I'm going to get into oh, that. Oh, you are. Okay. Yeah, but also, wait, what do you mean about Jane Fonda? What do you mean she has quaaludes? She just the keeps rumor, them on her? I don't know if it was from Chelsea Handler or what, but there's like a thing like Jane Fonda has a container of quaaludes and she might be like the last person Maybe who has they're them. fun if you just want to like zonk out in your bed or something. Yeah, but it was fun yeah. company. I don't think you should drug people, but also how much are people doing then? You know, yeah, like, maybe there's a small amount. Maybe you can microdose quaaludes. Yeah, because we also, or if it mixes with alcohol or something, because we have a friend who doesn't love to drink, uh, but they do GHB, which is the date rape drug. But if it's not mixed with alcohol, I guess it's like pretty chill. Or I'm not encouraging amounts. people yeah. to date rape drug themselves <laughs> in any capacity. I'm just saying we have a friend who date rape drugs himself. Gotcha. To go dancing. <laughs> Don't do anything without supervision of someone who knows drugs better than We're you do, I guess. We're talking it out too. You know what I mean? Yeah. But also some of you aren't scared to let, you know, us know when you fucking hated everything we did. So, you know, <laughs> we'll hear from one of you or two of you. You know, and I love that sometimes you guys write to the Instagram account like we're not the ones on it. <laughs> I think sometimes they think we're not. Yeah, they think, I think 
Because I think like my favorite murder and other pods might have somebody else running their IG, but you guys need to know that it is us running our IG. <laughs> yeah. When you go, yeah, Lisa was pretty terrible in this episode. I'm read. I'm Lisa. I am. I am reading. <laughs> I'm <it>. Lisa. <laughs> like, uh, all right. So we're back to the Quaaludes. Benson's talking about it. Then she, uh, Benson, shows the victim photos of the young men. So she's going through the photos and she does recognize Eric from the party. So it, is it possible it was him? She says, yes, I for sure talked to him. And Benson's like, I talked to him too. And he said you had consensual sex. And she's like, wait, he did? I don't remember that or anything else. Like, is this it? Like, what is happening? Now things get even more twisted. Lab results are back. Two separate semen samples are inside of her. So now two men have like raped her. And it's a super sad exchange when Mariska lets her know and she runs off pissed like, you better find these men. And then it's a commercial break style pause. Now, finally, Eric has a lawyer. For such like rich, rich people, it's weird that he was, everyone's just jibber jabbering with the police. And yeah, it like with Cynthia being so scared of people coming after their money, it's weird that they just let their nephew go without anything. But I'm sure Cynthia knows more than she lets on. So the actor who plays the lawyer is Raphael Sabarge, and he has 177 IMDb characters. He looks super familiar, but he's not, so... Yeah, I don't think I've seen stuff he's been in, but I, like, hated him on the show. I was like, ugh. Oh, yeah. I confused him with someone else that looks like him, but he was in Dexter in season five as, like, an IAB type of guy, so... And he's uh, been in, like, SVU, Law & Order LA... Uh, so a bunch yeah, of other so he stuff. was in another SVU called Wannabe in mm. 2010. So I don't know, but he's working. Okay, I <laughs> thought he looked familiar. He didn't. He's not. I don't know this. I do not know this man. Sorry to this man. <laughs> Sorry to this man. <laughs> Kiki Palmer, another SVU alum. Okay, he's being cocky. Like you're not arresting my client because another suspect. So shut up. And they're like. Actually, we found Quaaludes in your client's room and in her blood. So we have every right to fucking arrest your client right now. So cooperate and let's figure this out. Was there anyone else in the room? And Eric goes, like a gangbang? No. <laughs> when I liked that. <laughs> so what fucking happened to her? He said that she, like, he fell asleep and Amanda's like, you didn't walk her out or ask for her number or anything. So he goes, listen, when I woke up, she wasn't there. And they're like, yeah, she was here reporting a rape. And Eric is getting annoyed. And then we pull back to see like this, you know, the spy crew. And Benson has thick rimmed black glasses and she gets the ME report. And now we have another twist. One sample is Eric's sperm. So we have that. The other is a familial match. So it's either granddaddy or Eric's father, Larry. And he's, you know, the dad did shut down the first interrogation. So the plot definitely thickens. <laughs> now, Carisi goes to talk to the dad and they're jogging up a windy like staircase as he explains he worked for the family business, but now works for the charitable foundation because he wants to stay away as far from the business as he can. He uh, does not like the grandpa. He does not think grandpa is a good influence on Eric. Um, and they have a warrant for the dad's DNA and they swab his ass, and that's that. Now, there's a warrant for Lawrence's DNA, too. And, you know, my favorite, when they go into a giant boardroom meeting to humiliate a man in authority. <laughs> and so, in front of ev this giant desk of people, Cynthia's there, everyone's there. Amanda's like, open wide, please. But before he swabs, he says, I had sex with that girl. 
in front of everybody. And Amanda goes, oh, you did. You didn't mention that before. And he goes, why should I? My sex life is nobody's business. And it's like, well, when there's an investigation, (laughs) you would mention it. Like, what the, I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. But he's admitting having sex with like this young girl. And the other employees are uncomfortable, grossed out. They're like covering their eyes. Like they do not like him. They hate his, they they hate him. Then Cynthia goes like, you don't have to answer Amanda's questions, but it's like, no one even asked him a question. He volunteered all of that information. Like people just came for DNA. So no one's asking him any questions. He's just truly talking and bragging in front of all of these employees who are sad to be around him. But Rollins is like, Wait, so she came on to you before after fucking your grandson and he gives her an evil look. So now um, the victim, Sarah and Benson are in the office. So Benson goes like, sometimes memories come back in pieces. So we're going to show you some photos and um, maybe it'll get your memory back up. Oh, so there's a pic of Eric like talking to her and showing her something as she's bartending. And she goes, oh, I do remember that. It's like this bracelet you got from Africa made out of elephant hair. And she was like, wait, no, we did have sex. She's like, no, I wanted to have sex. And they're like, are you sorry? And she goes, oh my God, I'm so sorry. How much trouble did I get him in? And Ben says, is like, none, as long as that's what you remember and that's what happened. And she goes, but this other man, I don't know who that is. There's no way it was consensual. Do you know who it is? So they are going through the photos and then they, you know, they see Lawrence and she goes, there's no fucking way I would have fucked that old man. And he's like, well, he said that you guys had sex. And she goes, that is disgusting. I would never sleep with him. And she starts crying. And like, and they're like, do you remember talking to him or anything? And then Sarah goes, you said you found drugs in Eric's room. And Benson explains they could have been planted. And she's like, "He, who would set up their own grandson? I don't, I don't understand what's happening. Um, so she's having a rough go. So now they, they're like, listen, can you please help us with this investigation? And she's sniffling, but she's like, okay, I'll go undercover. Don't worry. <laughs> so now Sarah is meeting Cynthia and old man Lawrence by the water in a classic sting operation. And he goes, what do you want? A job or money? Let us know. No hard feelings. And her response is like, um, I don't want money. I want an apology. And he says, sorry, you regret fucking, but hey, it happens. And she's like, no, you drugged me. And he says, whatever, you needed to relax and you should be thanking me. He says, you enjoyed it. And she says, I was unconscious. He then calls her Monica. And then Cynthia right away shuts it down and goes, I think we need to leave. Too late. You just admitted to drugging her. We taped that whole conversation. And the detective's outerwear is sick as hell, okay? We have um, a gray trench coat, peacoat combo vibe on um, Benson. And there's 12 giant buttons, I counted, and three additional clips on this coat. This is a lot of hardware. And then Carisi's in a camel like Pico. And with my favorite badge placement, you know, when they like put it on the side on the collar and they clip it on the outside of the collar. You you like that or no? Is that your favorite badge placement or do you have another kind? You know what? I've never considered my favorite badge placement, but I love it. I do love something different. I don't like, I did not like the stabler trying to pin a badge onto a leather jacket. So I'm with you on the badge placement. Um, Oh, can I also say that Cynthia is a big character in Bosch? Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> you really kept that quiet for she a while. She plays Bosch's ex-wife, and I was like watching, I was like, wait, how do I know this woman? I'm like, Bosch, yes. I just know all my Bosch heads that listen to this podcast are going to be like, Kara, we can't believe you didn't mention that. And here I am mentioning it. Go on. 
Oh, no, this is good. Um, So Cynthia, like you could tell, is thinking something. So hopefully she'll turn on her dad. We'll see. But the same lawyer runs in. So he's going to defend, you know, Daddy Lawrence and baby Eric. And they slut shame Sarah. And they say that she loves drugs and fucking and she's just a party girl. Barbara and Benson are doing a walk and talk in the court hallways. And they're like, he's a billionaire. Of course, they're going to go for her credibility. But Barbara says once the jury sees him, there's no way they're going to believe that she would have willingly had sex with this man. (laughs) But uh uh-oh. Barbara gets news that Cynthia, the daughter, is filing that the dad is mentally incompetent to stand trial. So Barbara barges into the civil court where he has no standing, um, but his position is set for, he's like, this is in bad faith. Like, they're just trying to do this to avoid the criminal charges. And everyone's like, you don't even belong in the civil court. Um, and then the the grandpa starts agreeing with Barbara. And we're like, what? And he goes, yeah, my daughter's trying to steal my company. Fuck her. Barbara and rich people lawyer now are in chambers trying to sway the d- judge in their direction. So like, is he capable to stand trial or not? Guilty, not guilty, insanity. Like, what's happening? The judge says, like, we'll let a jury decide and we're going to go for it. So shut up and get out of here. I'm, I'm going to eat my lunch. <laughs> Benson and Barba are arguing. They're trying to figure out what's up. And they have to prove the case on evidence and chip away at the defense because now the daughter gets what she wants. Like, the dad's going to get a free pass on this rape charge and she's going to be in charge of this huge company that's been failing. Like, Cynthia's up to no good. Barba says, I am confident and angry. And Benson goes, hell yeah, I do like to see you this way. We have a <laughs> lot of work to do. We have a lot of, like... Games to play in this court field, but you're going to, you know, if you're pissed and you feel good about yourself, then I'm excited. Barba, now in court, plays the video of him admitting the drugging. They cut to Eric's face in the courtroom and he makes a face, okay? It's like an aha moment. He's like, okay, what's what's up? So I'm kind of optimistic. Maybe Eric's going to like figure something out. Yeah. So Sarah takes the stand and she says, like, honestly, when I confronted them about the drugging, I was hoping he would deny it and it would make it see, like not be true. I did not want any of this. I hoped it was not true. He tried to buy her off and excuse it like it was no big deal. And, uh, you know, he was rational and coherent. And she adds, awful. So that's what's happening. And now it's cross-examination. And this lawyer is pretty slick and is now going to use all her words against her. Um, So, you know, she says like, yeah, he was sick. And they're like, wow, sick. Okay. And you're saying he was rational and coherent. So in a coherent state, he thought there was nothing wrong with drugging women. Like he seems like maybe he does have some mental problems. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, he's a criminal. (laughs) Like, I don't, of course, like criminals think what they're doing is fine, but maybe that means you're mentally unwell. I mean, this is like a whole other episode. I think you can be so entitled that you're mentally unwell. Like your sense of entitlement is so huge that you literally come off as a person with mental issues. So now they see what's happening and it's a whole squad meeting in the hallways again. Like, fuck, you know, the jury usually needs to hear a victim's account, but there's quaaludes. But Barbara goes, maybe I have a trick. Like, the way he acted on this tape, there's no way this is his first time. Maybe we can find another case. And Rollins goes, we've been looking. So now they're like, well, maybe the billionaire girlfriend. Can we, like, you know, try to turn her? And they're like, against a billionaire who pays for Well, yeah, she's not a billionaire. She's a billionaire's girlfriend. (laughs) Yes. So they're like, well, it's going to be really hard to turn her. Um, 
So now, you know, the girlfriend's in Barbara's office and Benson is telling her that she's going to be charged with tampering of evidence by planting the quaaludes in Eric's room. And there's an FBI report with your fingerprints on it. So we'll see you in court at 9 a.m. or you're going to prison. And Barbara, she's like, that's outrageous and runs off. And then Barbara goes, wait, there's no FBI report, is there? Do you even know if she did it? And she goes, no, but if she shows up in court, we'll know. So love that. Hate when the cops lie. Love when Benson lies, though. So now girlfriend is on the stand saying she did place the drugs from Lawrence's to Eric's bedroom. And she knows it was wrong, but she panicked. And they were like, well, how did you even know that he had quaaludes? And she says, well, I use them all the time when we have sex. So he drugs his girlfriend to fuck. And he only likes to fuck on these drugs without her consent. Yeah, that's the fucking thing. That's the thing when people are like, Bill Cosby, it's or any of that stuff. It's like, they like to be having sex with someone incapacitated. It's not like they can't get women to have sex with them, you know? Because this guy has a girlfriend. She'd probably have sex with him regularly, but instead he like roofies her. Ugh. Dark. And she says like he tries to hide what he's doing, but she knows and sees and that's that. So her on the stand talking about all the old shit that he likes to watch and talk about in Old Friends pans to now Lawrence on the stand talking about like that he doesn't even know what year it is. And they keep panning to Eric's face. So we're like, what is Eric going to do? Like, when is Eric going to be mad that his dad is, I mean, his grandpa did something like what's going to happen. But basically with the old movie stuff and not knowing what year, they're trying to prove that he's not mentally capable to, you know, stand trial, do this, doesn't know what he's doing because he keeps talking about Jaws. And it's like, all right. (laughs) Um, he calls the pills thigh openers, and I have heard that before. He says there's no big deal, and if they're coming to the party, they know what to expect, so fuck off. He basically saw her and Eric leave the room after fucking, then had drinks with them, then drugged and raped her, and he still thinks it's sex, which is insane, so I guess maybe he shouldn't... I don't... This is so complicated. (laughs) It's so complicated. He goes, yeah, it was my turn, and I don't see anything wrong with that, so that's that. But but, so now it's Barbara's turn and he's trying to prove that all of this is a fucking phony act about like that he thinks it's the 70s and he only knows about Jaws is like, (laughs) it's not real. So Barbara goes, you have a desktop computer, right? And he goes, yeah, they're great. And he goes, well, they didn't exist in 1975. You know that, right? And he goes, oh, of course we have computers. How else would we go to the moon? And then Barbara shows a photo of his offices in 1975 with not a computer there. And then he goes, but you have computers now, right? You have tons of computers. You know, in 1975, you had 22 stores. Now you have 900 stores. You're telling me you don't know the fucking difference between that? Do you not understand this? Do you like, you know, he, then Barbara picks up his iPhone and goes, do you know what this is? And he goes, yeah, it's a phone. And it's like, well, this isn't what phones look like in the 70s or 50s. So how the fuck do you know this is a phone? <laughs> So you guys get what's happening. And then Barbara, final question, little button goes, did you know that drugging and raping women was illegal in 1975? And the defense tries to object and Barbara takes the question away. But I don't see how that question is bad. I don't know. I don't remember what the objection was. Um, So now Barbara and Benson are telling Eric, like, the defense is going to work and he does seem insane. 
Um, and Benson says, you never told us you had drinks with him after. Why are you protecting him? And Eric says, because he's a good person. And then his son Larry is like, no, he's not. He's selfish and disgusting. And Eric goes, you're just mad he fired you and my loser mom had a crush on him. And Larry goes, what the fuck did you say? And Eric goes, no, what he said was that mom was a party girl who likes to have fun. And Larry goes, you shut your fucking mouth and don't ever talk about your mother that way. And he says, fine, but I'm not testifying against grandpa. He says, if you need help putting my father away, put me on the stand. So I'm excited to see what happens. Who knew Larry's going to be a hero? So now Larry's on, I only keep thinking about Lauren's dad. (laughs) And his Larry hot sauce. So Larry says that he sees his father Lawrence once a month at the board meeting. Um, and he knows what fucking century it's in. He's faking this because he does not want to go to jail. The defense is spinning a story of jealousy that the business went from him to his sister and he got booted from the company. And he goes, no, I walked away. And they're like, well, look at this 1996 news article where you're being named COO and there's your wife, Monica, and the old man and you look fucking happy. And then two months later, you're out and exiled and you hold no ill will. And he responds, it's not a secret. I don't like my father. Like, what are you getting at? And they're like, it's clear why this guy is here. And he's like, I'm here to tell the truth. He walks out fast and Benson says, I know you wanted to say the truth, but you didn't say the whole truth. And he says, what are you talking about? And they're like, hello, Monica. Benson reveals the Monica tape slip. Why would he call Sarah Monica? He says, that was probably a mistake. And she pushes the dad and was like, no, you got divorced. What happened? What did your father do? So they're just like, come on, dude, help. Whatever your reason for not being open is, we get it. But Eric is protecting his grandfather. So you need to make sure Eric knows what kind of man his grandfather is when, you know, the grandfather testifies. We cut to Eric on the verge of tears. Like, I'm sorry, he just made a mistake, you know, and his father stands behind him. And then we have Barbara and Benson together. And Barbara is like, you lied to the cops so I can charge you with obstruction just so you fucking know. And he lied that, you know, he had drinks with the grandpa and Sarah and he saw that happen. So they're just like, we're, we're going to charge your dumbass. Larry is like, just tell them if you know something and he spins his head around so fast and says, you want to put your father in jail? I wouldn't do that to you. And Larry's like, well, I don't deserve it. LOL. And Eric's like, because you're boring and grandpa has a fun life or because Cynthia's in charge. And Larry's like, I just didn't want to see him. Like, see him. I hate him. And I don't want to come in every day at work and see him. And Eric goes, what did he ever do to you? And finally it comes out. And basically he drugged Eric's mother, his son's, his daughter-in-law and raped Eric's mother. So While drugged- she was pregnant with Eric. Wow. Horrible. Not that it's like, Better or worse, but it's like an added level of horror, I feel like. Well, the horror is like, for Eric, where it's like you're protecting this guy who truly, like, didn't care if you lived or died and drugged (laughs) your mom. Like, oh, God. Yeah. So he's still not getting it, though. It's, like, very annoying. (laughs) Like, this kid is a fucking idiot. Um, Benson explains, when he sees someone younger than him with someone prettier, he can't stand it. You know, and then Larry goes, your mom was radiant and we had a party and he drugged and raped her and they never got over it. And that's why they split. And that's who he is. And so Eric finally is getting it maybe, but can't really believe it. And we're at court part 15. Finally, Eric tells the truth. He says he wanted to walk Sarah out, but grandpa was waiting by the bar. He already made a few drinks and proposed a nightcap. And he grabbed one and grandpa said, no, that's not for you. And then he gave that one to Sarah. 
Also, he knows it's 2016 and Eric says yes. And that he likes that Eric can relate to younger generations and even asks him to do like a market thing with Pokemon Go. So he's with it and he gets it. And what else did he say that night, Barbara asked. And the response was that he winked at him and said, God, I miss the old days. He then apologizes to Sarah as old man Lawrence jumps up and screams, you're just as soft as your father. And I was trying to show you how to be a man and you don't apologize. You take what's yours and you don't have what it takes. Benson touches Sarah's shoulder. And now they cut to like everyone watching laptop news viewing. And he has been found guilty. A call comes in and Carisi answers. Rollins asks Benson, do you think this generation is better? And Carisi says, hey, rape just happened at a bar. And Benson says, nah, I don't think anything is better or different. It's just younger. Then Benson answers a call and then another phone rings as like the lights turn out and it's this thing of like everyone's getting raped all the time and <laughs> that's Dick Wolf, baby. Woo! Yeah, this is a twisty episode. I think like the reveal about um, Eric's mom's rape was like, I remember when I watched this episode, I was like, damn. Yeah, and I, you know, this obviously is a newer episode based on a newer style crime that I really, like, I know the names involved and I remember the news, but I really don't know anything. So yeah. I'm really um, intrigued to know the story, Kara. Well, a few words from our sponsors and I'll be right back to tell it. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. This is a That's Mess Up First where you'll see who our guest is, but I was able to fully verify what this episode is based on as well as get the same resources that were used in putting this episode together because this is listed in some places as being based on Trump, but I apparently that's not really true. Um, we know for a fact that this episode is based in, on a few different stories, but in part, uh, the Lawrence Hendricks story, uh, character, excuse me, is based on Sumner Redstone, who um, is a billionaire, was past tense, a billionaire businessman and media magnate. Someone who knew him described him in this article from USA Today that I read as the image of a grandpa, but the attitude of a viper. So very similar to this character that you saw. Um, 
He was the founder and chairman of Viacom, or the second coming of Viacom, basically, which was dissolved in 2019, a year before he died. And he was the majority owner and chairman of National Amusements Theater Chain, which was his father's business. And so through National Amusements, he was this majority voting shareholder at Viacom CBS. Viacom owned CBS, the channel. They later became the parent company of Paramount Pictures, And underneath Paramount is like Nickelodeon and a bunch of other stuff. MTV, all that's part of Viacom. MTV, VH1, Country Music Channel. Oh, and he owned Blockbuster. Sumner Redstone like owned, like (laughs) bought Blockbuster at some point too. Well, that makes sense. That's so funny. And what kind of name is that? Sumner? That's not real. Well, what, you know what's weird? He, I thought Sumner Redstone, this is probably a Southern man from like, you know, Mayflower descendants. No, this is a Jewish man whose family changed their name to, from Red, Rothstein to Redstone, which apparently is what it means or something. And then Sumner is such a, like, rich man. I mean, Sumner sounds like Fort Sumpter or something. Like, it sounds to me like just, I don't know what the first name comes from, but a Jewish man from, like, Massachusetts. And um, his family is still the majority voting shareholder at Viacom, apparently. So according to Forbes, as of April 2020, he was worth um, $2.6 billion. Um, Although some places I read it was a little bit more. So I don't know. Maybe it's his personal fortune versus business fortune. But anyway, he died in August of 2020 at the age of 97 after saying for years that he would live forever. Like his whole thing was, I'm going to live forever. I'm never going to die. And in January of 2014, he told The Hollywood Reporter when asked about who would succeed him, he screamed and he was like, I will not discuss succession. You know why? I'm not going to die. Well, sorry to say, his prediction was not true. So he became the executive chairman of both CVS and Viacom. I just said CVS. So he became the executive chairman of CBS and Viacom. So well, you know huge. that's a deep joke. Do you remember that? No. Wait, who's the hot one? The hot evil one with no soul? I have Dan? no soul. Yeah, Dan. Mm-hmm. So Dan was talking. And who's my girl? What's her name? Anna Klumsky. I forgot what her name is on the show, but. So her sister and Dan are at the bar and she says, oh, I work at CVS, but he heard CBS and he wanted to work as a correspondent. And so he fucked her to like get a job. And then she was like, yeah, I mean, you can work nights. We're looking for someone. So we thought he was going to do the (laughs) nightly news. (laughs) And then he fucked someone that worked at CBS. Oh, so good. Um, So an interesting little backstory on Sumner Redstone is that he did survive a fire at the Boston Copley Plaza Hotel that was started by a disgruntled teenage busboy. Wild. And he survived by hanging from a third-story ledge out the window. And he somehow survived this fire, but he had four, he had burns over 45% of his body. And they were like, you'll never live a normal life. And he was like, yes, I will. And he basically did almost fully recover. He has kind of a gnarled hand, but he's obsessed with tennis. And so he somehow has a tennis racket like strapped to that hand that he plays tennis like every day. He was playing tennis like every day when he was able to for like years, even though he had this horrible injury. So... Anyway, eight years after this fire, he takes control of Viacom after a four-month hostile takeover in like 1987, I think it was. So in 2015 is around when people start speculating about his mental health. His public appearances are very rare, except for visits to a few Hollywood restaurants like Dan Tana's, Craig's, and Il Piccolino. I've been to Dan Tana's. It's whatever. 
I've never been to Craig's, but I do hear that that's a very good place to go if you want to see celebrities. It's just like a place celebrities go. And I've never been to Il Piccolino. I, I don't know where it is, but he apparently would eat with his hands in such a disgusting way that the staff at Il Piccolino nicknamed him the Beast. Which I just like cannot get over being worth billions of dollars and like eating like a disgusting monster. But here we are. Um, and a friend said that he would be horrible to waiters, like scream at them. So again, like you have to think this is like a bad person. You have all the money in the world and you just like treat service people terribly. So there's all these conflicting accounts around this time about his mental fitness. Some people are saying, oh no, he's out and about at restaurants. He's got this amazing memory. He remembers everything he said from two weeks ago, word for word. And others are like, that is complete bullshit. He can't walk. He can't talk. He eats through tubes. And then like apparently for some years before his death, he had such a hard time talking that he had like an iPad that was loaded with snippets of his voice from past interviews that he would just use like a soundboard. And he had buttons that said like, yes, no, and fuck you. So <laughs> what would be on your board? What would be your top three? <laughs> Did Rosie have a quesadilla? That would be Did number Rosie one. Did Rosie have a quesadilla? It would be on there. Yeah. Please stop throwing another. I mean, there'd probably just be a bunch of me being an exasperated parent. And then also Lisa. Have you heard this? Um, okay. So uh, there's a lot of drama in the Redstone family about... Now I'm reading that it's a $6.4 billion fortune that he would eventually leave. So who knows? I think maybe it's because I'm reading articles that are from like 2015, 2016, and then later when he didn't he didn't die till 2020. Much like the character in the episode, Sumner Redstone had two children with his first wife named Sherry and Brent. They're both his um, children by his wife, Phyllis, who he was married to for like 57 years and or 54 years or something. And then she, he just cheated on her and became like a playboy. Suddenly he's like dating all these women after he's in this 50 plus year relationship with his wife. Um, so he had a major falling out with his son, Brent, just like in the episode. They did not speak um, as of 2015 and they hadn't spoken for years. And Brent had sued his father and National Amusements in 2006, essentially for trying to cut him out of the family business. That was eventually all settled and Brent went to live on a large ranch in Colorado. I don't think there was like a you raped my wife a moment like in the show, but he was definitely estranged from his son, Brent. And then Sherry and Sumner have a very public like up again, down again, on again, off again, like feud with each other because she's very involved in the businesses and she's always been vying for control of the company. Company, and a lot of people consider her to be the heir apparent to his, you know, fortune that she was going to succeed him in his positions on all these boards. Um, but they feuded all the time and he reconsidered her as his successor. So there's all these times where he's cutting her out of her will, putting him back, putting her back in, like all this up and down drama with this family. I don't watch the show Succession, but I bet it's kind of based on all of this. Um, but less gnarled bodies. Yes, with not a gnarled body thing, but... <laughs> More TV, more for TV. <laughs> yes, a little bit more um, photogenic. Um, Sherry was vice president of both boards. And then sh for a while, she and her father were only communicating through faxes, which is very of a time. So then, according to Vanity Fair, Redstone always had a wandering eye and someone who knew him well was quoted in, in this Vanity Fair article saying, he, d he does think he's God's gift to women which is hilarious if you see him, especially after I've heard about how he eats as well. So allegedly, he was with a mistress the night of this fire, even in 1987. I don't know what happened to her. I don't know if she survived the fire. I don't know if he said, hey, hang out this window with me. But um, he divorced from his first wife in 1999 after a PI caught him that the wife hired, caught him canoodling in Paris. And Phyllis got $100 million in the divorce. So nice, nice work. 50 years with this man and you got 100 mil. 
Then he dated Christine Peters, a Hollywood producer who did make the movie How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. And That's they one of my were, favorite movies. I've seen yeah. it so many times. I love it. I wanted to bring it up because I thought it might be a fave of yours. And <laughs> they, him and Christine were once engaged, but the engagement was called off after she refused to fly with him to Dubai on a minute's notice when she was in the middle of producing a movie. So I think he wanted a woman who was more like at his beck and call and Christine was not that gal. So engagement over. Then he had a relationship with this woman named Manuela Herzer. She's a very important person to his story. And she said, oh, age didn't matter. They had instant chemistry. He was so amazing and treated her well. He took her children in as his own and all this stuff. But she did, never wanted to get married. And she put her kids first, which Sumner hated. And so they ended up breaking up romantically, but she stayed on for a very long time as like an advisor to him and like a... Um, companion. People called him her, uh, her, his companion, even though he'd have other girlfriends. So um, his business thought, like all his business people were like, you need to be married. Like it, it's better for your image. Like you need to be married. So he ended up getting introduced to this school teacher, 40 years younger than him. They got married, were together for five years. He kept telling Manuela how much he hated the marriage. And then they eventually got divorced and she got 5 million. He wanted to get back with Manuela after that. And she's like, nah, dog, I don't want, I don't want a ring. And so instead, he would take her to dinner parties and just ask her opinion of other women and be like, who do you, what do you think? And she was like, I don't want to do this anymore. She got tired of it. She said, quote, this is humiliating and embarrassing. And then I thought this was amazing because I'll I'll get in 2010. Patty Stanger, the host of the Bravo show Millionaire Matchmaker, introduced Redstone to her longtime friend, Sydney Holland. And I used to watch that show. I was like a religious millionaire matchmaker show. I just love that this woman goes, I have a 99% success rate and not one single relationship on her show ever worked out. So I was like, I guess that the show is just about showing the 1%. But... <laughs> She, I, I, for some reason, was into the show. Yeah, I just always remember her being like, you have curly hair, straighten it. Yes. No one likes always. curly hair, straighten it. Yeah. And she would call little women spinners. Like she would call like any woman that was tiny and petite, she would call them a spinner, which I thought was like gross. And she'd always no, be she's like- gross. And I know like those who don't do teach, like I get that, but it's like- Yeah. You're single as fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Completely. <laughs> But I mean, I didn't realize that she was in with people of such, like he is so, so rich, this man and so powerful in entertainment. So she actually did introduce also, him to her friend and they started dating. Like, is it cool to want my, like, is it, like we both know one person and in her mind, she was like, I am going to end up with someone rich and only went out with like finance people, tech people, like that's what she was looking for. So is that like cool? You know what you want and you don't want to work in money or are you like a gross person? I can't really decide. I don't know. It feels a little gross, but I don't know. Because uh, like with this guy, it's like he's disgusting. He doesn't know how to eat. He's mean. He treats people like shit. You need to be like a servant to him. Like what else is like these people no, just yeah. want money, right? Yeah, but they claim, oh my God, we had such a, he has such a, okay. So, so she starts going out with, Sydney Holland starts going out with Redstone. I think she's in her early 40s at this time. And he took her to Catch in Santa Monica, big seafood restaurant. And that um, Stanger thought that Holland and Redstone would hit it off because Holland says, Sumner has an amazing sense of humor, a quick wit, and is incredibly intelligent. And, and pa she, meaning Patty, knows that that's the kind of things that I like. This is also a quote from this Vanity Fair article. Um, Sydney 
uh, loves Sumner. She doesn't see his age. And in this article, she goes, he has great skin and hair. And it's like disgusting because first of all, he dyes his hair, this like Trump carrot colored, like orange. He has, his face looks like it's melting. And so I don't know about the skin thing. And the guy gets a haircut every single day. Every single day, a man comes to his house and cuts his hair, which I think is so weird and excessive. Like your hair doesn't grow in a day. Um, but I, so whatever. I just Googled photos of him and it's like, I don't know if he looks better or worse than what I had in my head. Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, you can't be like, he has great hair and great skin. I mean, it's just so wild. I mean, I don't want to talk badly about someone's appearance, I guess, but these women are clearly in it for being taken care of and money. Um, so Sumner's daughter, Sherry, who we've talked about, does not love that her father is into all these younger women and having younger women around. And she had a very contentious relationship with both Manuela and Sydney. And she had a PI investigate both of them. And then as of like 2014, 2015, he's with Sydney, but Manuela is also, I think maybe even living at his house and is his companion. He wants the two of them to plan his funeral. He's got all his funeral arrangements. He wants them executed by these two companions. He doesn't want Brent or Sherry involved at all. And that these women are both going to get 75 million. And then everything went tits up. Both of them got taken out of the will. Um, Manuela was taken out away as his um, health signatory, everything like that. And their inheritances that those 75 million each was sent to charity, was then allocated to charities. And suddenly Sherry's back in his good graces. This is how soap opera this is. Sometimes he's just communicating with his daughter via fax. And then other times he's like kicking his girlfriends out and he's like, Sherry, you're back in my life. So he ended up splitting with Sydney in 2015, threw Manuela out of his house. And in 2016, at age 92, he finally resigned from his company jobs following a court-ordered examination by a geriatric psychiatrist. So he was succeeded by Les Moonves at CBS, who we know had a full Me Too scandal, and Philippe Doman at Viacom. And when I worked at Viacom, we would just get emails from Philippe Doman as if he cared or knew who any of us like permalancers were. I was like, oh, this is a man who makes like $60 million a year just sending me an email like he cares about me. And then... um, Yeah, both of the women ended up setting privately with Redstone's family, and I'm sure they both got decent paydays. I don't know if they got their 75 million that they were promised, but they they both got money from the family. And now, yeah, now his daughter kind of runs things for him and for the national amusements and all that. But this episode's also based, of course, on Bill Cosby and Hugh Hefner, um, which are, uh, I'm not going to get so, so deep into the Cosby case because it's a huge case and I believe there are other episodes based on it. But uh, essentially what happened was in the research that we were, that was shared with us, Hugh Hefner's ex, Holly Madison, who was his main girlfriend, he would call her the love of his life. She was his main girlfriend on The Girls Next Door, which is an e-show Lisa and I have referenced many, many times. We both were fans. And she wrote a tell-all book um, after they split up and she's been married to somebody new for like almost a decade now. And she described her first meeting with Hugh Hefner was him offering her quaaludes. And he said, quote, they used to call these thigh openers. So... That's where that came from in the episode. Um, she had a lot of problems with Hefner. She said he was manipulative and emotionally abusive to her and the other women in the in the house, and he would pit them against one another, and that was kind of his whole thing. Um, there well, was yeah, a- it was really fucked up. Like those were his girlfriends, yet he kept being like, "You're too ugly to be in the magazine." Yeah, 
Yeah, they were never in the magazine. Not until the show. And then when the show was such a hit, I bought it. It was like the three of them on the cover together. I remember. And then they each had their own, like, you know, Kendra had a sporty one. (laughs) Like, they each had their own little spreads too, but all together. And, you know, Bridget had to go to school. So she missed the the shower shoot and she didn't think it was (laughs) fair. I mean, I remember all of this, but. He was like, I remember them being like, yeah, he just said I'm not good enough to be in the magazine. And it's like, okay, I can, that's what he's doing on camera. I can see the manipulation and like, yeah, that he's tearing these women down or whatnot. Yeah, completely. And they had like curfews. Yeah. Because I remember they had a friend in Vegas and they flew for her party and they had to fly back that night because they were not allowed to spend the night in Vegas. No, yeah, and I definitely got, like, the vibe of, you know, Sue Ann, the character, seems like she's a little bit based on Sydney, um, Sumner Rebenstone's girlfriend, who's like, yeah, no, I, I love him. He's great. But then also a little bit off of, like, Hugh Hefner's girlfriends that were probably like, yeah, I maybe I had to take some quaaludes here and there, you know, like, they, to just do what you have to do to, like, be with a billionaire or whatever. So... There was also a claim of a rape at the Playboy Mansion in 2007 from a 22-year-old woman who said she was assaulted by a 17-year-old male, which kind of matches up a little bit with what we think happens at the beginning of this episode. Um, Hefner said this girl just went out partying and came home to an angry boyfriend, and that's why she's making up this whole thing. And I think that maybe this woman was like, okay, if there's not like enough evidence and he's going to be publicly maligning me, I'm just like not going to pursue this anymore. And so she, days after the allegation came out, she said that she didn't want to pursue the complaint. And investigators said that they could not corroborate her charges. I don't know how you corroborate, you know, like something happening in a room of a mansion where not anyone else was there, but yeah. Um, And then in 2008, a former model named Chloe Goins, 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 um, accused Bill Cosby of raping her at the Playboy Mansion at a party. And she says she then later alleged that Hugh Hefner knew about it and did nothing to stop it. Uh, she claimed that Cosby spiked her drink during the party and then sexually assaulted her in one of the bedrooms. She does not remember exactly what happened or the exact date it happened, but claims she woke up with Cosby licking her toes and zipping up his pants. Ugh. Um, Cosby was also, as we all know, uh, we all know he was known to use quaaludes to incapacitate his victims and basically give them an amnesia. The LA County DA's office reviewed Chloe Goins' case but decided not to file criminal charges against Cosby because of A, uncorroborated facts, and B, the statute of limitations. So she filed a civil case and in 2019, Cosby's insurance company did settle with her and Cosby was like pissed and was like, that was not authorized. Like he's mad that his insurance company settled with this woman in a civil suit um, because, you know, he thinks he's done nothing wrong. Um, Another victim, former playmate Victoria Valentino, told the Washington Post in November 2013 that Cosby drugged her and raped her in the wake of her six-year-old son's tragic death. Like, ugh. Like, there's no bottom for these men. And then another woman named Judy Huth, Huth, uh, came forward with a lawsuit against Cosby in 2014, claiming he molested her in the Playboy Mansion in 1974 when she was just 15 years old. And her civil case um, was, I think, put on hold while Cosby was in jail. And now that he is out of jail, as we all know, there is a hearing in April of 2022 for um, Judy's case for her. I think, I believe it's a civil case. Um, So... I mean, I just don't... I believe where there's smoke, there's fire, and, like, there's definitely gossip. Like, if people... 
if he has, if three women have accused him of raping them at the Playboy Mansion, Hugh Hefner had to get wind of some of that. Like there has to be, you know, whispers well, they say of that. that. People knew on set, like the, like female guest stars weren't allowed to go into Bill's like dressing room, and everyone was on alert to make sure no one was like near him alone. And so everyone knew. And I, yeah. I think. I think that's why Lisa Bonet was like kicked off the show and kind of punished because she was like, this is fucked up. Like, oh, people yeah. knew. Yeah. People knew. Well, I, it's so true. Like, we've always heard all these people knew, but Hefner's official statement to The Hollywood Reporter was, quote, Bill Cosby has been a good friend for many years and the mere thought of these allegations is truly saddening. I would never tolerate this kind of behavior regardless of who was involved. So he's not saying Cosby's innocent. He's just saying, that's my homie. And if he did this, I'm sad, but I definitely didn't know. And as we know, like, of course, in the past recent years, 50 or more women have come forward to claim that Cosby drugged and or assaulted them. Not always at the Playboy Mansion, but... I think it's the Hefner Cosby of it all that is what the show used. Um, and then, yes, as we all know, Cosby was sentenced to prison in 2018 and but was released in 2021 on some kind of technicality and is now free but not exonerated and does continue to deal with litigation, I think, from a lot of his accusers. So that's where a lot of the inspo for the episode came from. Um but I'm sure that we'll do a deeper dive into Cosby um, in the future because it is it is a very, you know, huge case and uh, other episodes, I believe, of the show have been based on it. Thanks for all this info. Fucking monsters. And very pop culture heavy, I would say. Yes. Yes, Pokemon go to the polls. I mean, they're talking about all <laughs> kinds of stuff. Um, but we have a very cool guest. We're so excited to talk to our guest and they're going to give us so much tea, I'm excited. Stay right where you are. All right. Today, we have a very special guest, someone who is responsible for many of the words you have heard come out of Olivia Benson's mouth. And he is also the host of a podcast called Two By Guys. He's one of them. And we were just so, so excited to talk to him because he wrote today's episode. So just behold our conversation with Robert Brooks Cohen. So you just told us that you have been listening to the podcast recently. And do you just sit there and go, no, that's not what we were talking about. That's not what we meant. Like, do you just yeah. like yell at us uh, when you're <laughs> well, listening? Well, mo most of the time I fully agree with you. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. But then there are a couple of times where I'm like, no, 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 that, that's not what I've been. And then a couple of times, like later in the episode, you've, you look it up and you've corrected yourself. And I'm like, oh, good. They, okay, they listened good. to me through, <laughs> through space and time. They heard what I was saying. We clean up after ourselves. <laughs> do you I guess. remember this? Do you remember those moments? I remember you were talking about the Gamergate episode and you were talking about Adam Baldwin, I think, who was like involved with the real story. But and I was and I was like, this isn't a mistake you made. I was just like, and he was on SVU. Did did you know that? And I was yeah. yelling, I was yelling like he was on SVU. And then like <laughs> later, an hour later in the episode, you you figured it out and you uh you commented on it. Actually, that's one of the few times I was in Law and Order as an extra at the last minute, and I handed Adam Baldwin a folder. So if you go back and watch the oh. episode, I it was a very important folder, I think. Oh, I hope you got your SAG card from that. 
Well, I loved <laughs> no. um, also an intimidation game. I loved uh, ice, like learning about ice tea and how much he loves video games was really cute. I en- I enjoyed that little because we know he loves them on the outside. Right. And that, you know, we all knew that at the show and that was a directive we were given was give give ice some video game stuff in this episode. And uh, actually, that episode was on USA last night, right before we're recording this, which so I obviously stayed up to watch it. And, oh, my uh, gosh. So some of those video game references are a little a little much in hindsight. <laughs> Where they're they're like game over. Like, what were you camping back there? It's like I I don't know that. I don't know if cops really talk that way, but it was it was a fun episode. And, and also, I will say that was one of the first of episodes of your podcast that I listened to was the one about that because we got a lot of shit for that episode. I'll say yeah. me and my co writer and like a lot of gamers trolled us on social media afterwards and really well, like yeah. harassed us. Like, the IMDB rating of that episode is like shot to hell because of the gamers. <laughs> it's the yeah, it's the lowest of any SVU episode in history, which I'm kind of proud of that they cared so much <laughs> that they did that. But like you guys got what we were trying to do. And I listened to that episode and I was like, yes, yes, all of the research we did all of the things we tried to put in there to just sort of show people, hey, this thing that you don't, that you're not paying attention to, Gamergate is actually pretty serious and bad and like unfair. And what if these things they're threatening really happened? What would that look like? Because that's what the victims of this harassment are thinking about at night. They're being threatened with this and it's not okay. And like, that's what we tried to do. And you, you guys really... Got that. So once I listened to that, I like binged a whole bunch of Aww. episodes of your <laughs> podcast and got hooked. But that was That's only like, like a month ago. I had no idea this existed. <laughs> I know people keep saying they're finding on us, and I'm like, I don't know how else to tell you that we're out here. I mean, <laughs> well, no. Did you know that the that you would tweet at us that it would become the best thing that's happened to us? <laughs> we were like so excited about that tweet. We were so pumped because you know we are doing all this research all the time and. It was just nice to get that validation from someone on the inside being like, no, you're you're doing, you know, you're on the right track of research. I'm, I'm glad I could help you out with that. I, 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 I did not realize it, but you're, you guys are doing such great work. And also the, um, the Porn Stars Requiem episode that I co-wrote, I really thought you, you guys did such a good job breaking that one down and all the research that went into it. That was another research heavy episode. And like, I was proud of that one. Thanks. Yeah. So can we go back a little bit? So like, wh- how did it all start? How did you get onto, like you started as a researcher, writer, uh, writer's assistant, and like, what was your journey? So I went to grad school, NYU, for dramatic writing. I f- focused on TV writing. I had a couple odd jobs for a few years out of grad school. Like I wrote voiceover for the History Channel. I like ghost wrote a how-to book, some other random stuff. Um, and then, like, I threw a grad school friend who was leaving his job as Warren Light's assistant. He, like, recommended me to be Warren's assistant, but it was right at the moment, the exact moment that SVU was transferring to Warren as the new showrunner. So beginning of season 13. So it, it kind of worked out. He was hiring a couple writer's assistant, researchers, script coordinators for the show and asked if I would like to do that. And I was like, absolutely. 
Um, so for the first three seasons, I was writer's assistant slash researcher, just because on that show, it's a heavily research role. Yeah. Had you been, and you were a fan of the show, like going in? I was a big fan. It was always my favorite of the Law and Orders. I loved the Benson Stabler dynamic. And so like, uh, like literally two weeks into getting there, they were like, Stabler's not coming back. He didn't, <laughs> Maloney didn't sign his contract. So I was like, oh, <laughs> we all, it was a big moment, obviously. Um, and, and we figured out some great things to do. And, but, but yeah, like I was, my favorite show growing up was The West Wing. And, and on Wednesday nights, it was West Wing at nine, SVU at 10. And so I would watch SVU by default and over time just grew to love it. It was on at like the right time for me in like high school, basically. Amazing. So I, yeah, I was a big fan. I was, I was uh, very intimidated to meet the cast when I first met them. <laughs> and then so you just like stayed on for like a few seasons as a writer's assistant and a researcher. And then like eventually they were like, hey, want to try your hand at a script or like how, you know, they just like moved you up or what? How did it work? Pretty much. They, I got to write my first episode during my second season as an assistant. Um, and then I wrote another one my third season as an assistant. So those were kind of like the trial periods. And then my fourth season through seventh season, I was bumped up to staff writer. And like, yeah, it just kind of happened naturally. Actually, like my second season as an assistant, I found this weird case law that inspired an episode. Like I, I wasn't always pitching episodes, but I had found this story that ended up becoming an episode, but the head writer and, and another writer kind of wrote that. And then yeah. I think the head writer, Warren kind of felt bad that like I had found that, but I didn't get to write it. So he was like, why don't you help us write this campus, you know, sexual assault episode, which was Girl Dishonored. So I wrote that along with the head writers my first season. And I was kind of like a trial run. My first draft was like 100 pages. It was terrible. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, you mentioned the name of the episode. So now I have to ask, how annoying or do you guys love having to come up with the name title with the amount of letters of the season? Because <laughs> it drives us insane. <laughs> but how did you yeah. feel doing that? I was going to ask if you guys knew, had figured that out. I haven't heard all your episodes. Yeah. But, um, you know, it came up in like the first week of the writer's room. Like some writer kind of threw that out there as I think half jokingly, like, could we do this? And could we do all like, it's SVU 2.0. So we'll, instead of one word titles, which it had been, we'll do two words and we'll make them all 13 letters. And then it was kind of like a fun game at first. Like, can we do this? And we learned like at, we, we could for the first batch of episodes we had. So we would. And it was like fun at first. And then by season like 17, 18, I was like, no, this is, oh so, my this is God. Like very annoying. <laughs> and like occasionally it leads to an interesting title that you wouldn't have come up with. But a lot of the times it led to some weird titles that are kind of unfortunate. But but I don't know. Then again, looking back, I'm like, season 18, 19, we didn't do that. We Warren was not there anymore. He was yeah. the one who had kind of implemented that. So season 18, 19, we didn't do that. And I'm like, eh, I don't know. The titles are a little less creative. There's something about a specific formula that doesn't fully make sense, but forces you to 
think in a different way. So I don't know. It was kind of fun. Yeah, it's like a wordle. It's a little bit of I a was wordle situation. Wordle. <laughs> we talked to Samantha Corbin um, oh. and she was telling us, so it's not a traditional writer's room, right? You guys kind of go out on your own. And so when you were researching, did they say like, go find this for us and you'd bring it back? Or did you bring them the info? How did it work without being in a room altogether? Uh, it's a little of both. And like, the assistants were always in the room every day. So for us, it kind of was more of a traditional room and we were around there. And then the more I was around, like the more I was promoted, the less I would come in every day. But <laughs> yeah, we like, I would bring in stories all the time. And as the researcher, I would send out stories to inspire the other writers to find interesting stuff. And uh, so like it was it was a mix of both. Like I think for me, I would mostly find stuff and pitch it. Um, but then occasionally, like there were just big stories that everyone was talking about that we knew we had to do. And so we the room would convene, you know, once every couple of weeks when when people were around, we would say, come in. And like sometimes those big episodes would just get divided up, like, this is good for you guys, this is good for you. And it was like we were rarely all in the room at once, like I guess a traditional writer's room, although I've never been in one of those either. <laughs> so this is this is my standard. But like we would be in a room sometimes to plan out a season, but then it's mostly like, okay, you two go work on this one, you two go work on that one. And then it's like two or three months you're working on your episode and then you start over again. And do you know what judges and defense attorneys are going to be there or guest stars when you write? Or you just write general and then it's like, oh, it's Viola Davis. I mean, she was old school. But like, um, how do you kind of, and then do you tweak it for the specific characters or how, yeah. You you kind of discuss all that like in the early stages of the episode. Like you come up with the story first, the crime, like what's it based on? How are we going to involve the main cast but then, like, as you're outlining, be probably before you write, you might say who would be a good defense lawyer for this. Like, maybe the judge is another step down the road, unless it's really vital that a specific judge is part of it. Um, and yeah, that like, you you have your wish list. You go, you know, this is a great Delaney Williams episode. But, yeah. then, but then halfway through prep, like, he may not be available or whatever. So, so there was, is a lot of rewriting of those kinds of things in the last week before you shoot based on like who's available. Yeah. That's cool. Wow. It's like a lot of moving pieces. It sounds like. Yes. Yeah. Well, and sometimes it leads to some great new people. Like I, I don't remember like Raphael Sabar. What episode did you talk about this episode? <laughs> you talked about decline and fall. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like, I think Raphael Sabarge. Is that how you, I, I forget how you say his name? Oh, oh, wait. It's 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 the guy you were talking about, Lisa, that you've seen in a ton of stuff. The guy oh, who plays that shitty head. lawyer. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, we looked him up. He was in from Dexter, is where like I was like, I know that man. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he was someone who I, I didn't I mean, I knew him as an actor, but I don't think he had been on on SVU before. And I don't remember like you know, we were just creating a new character, essentially. And he was so great. Like, I loved him in that episode. And he was also such a lovely man. So, like, sometimes, you know, you 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 get a nice surprise by not having a plan for those kind of parts. Right. And was Decline and Fall one of those big stories that you guys knew you were going to, like, you all came together? 
I think and we're like, it we was gotta a, do it. It was a big story that like everyone knew about this uh, Sumner Redstone like Viacom story, and it was like not fully a sex crime story. So that was, I mean, it sort of was because he very weird, creepy guy, but like yeah. it wasn't like he was accused of something at that moment. It yeah, was like, it was kind of like a what if Sumner Redstone was accused of a crime like Bill Cosby committed, kind of. Yeah, you know? right. Yeah. Exactly. So I think it was, you know, when we pitched it, it was like, oh, that that works. Like people got it quickly, but it wasn't like one we knew we had to do. Um, so I think me and the the writer I wrote that with pitched it, but it was a pretty easy, like, easy yes. You have more than enough to work with. Go, go write it. Yeah. Yeah. Such a good twist. Okay. That was exciting. (laughs) Did you guys high five when you broke that twist or what? Oh, the twist. Oh, it was like... That he raped the the daughter-in-law. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that was... That is interesting. I love that (laughs) twist. Yeah. (laughs) I almost forgot. Because that, even though I know, like, that one, you see it once or twice, and then it's still surprising. Like, you're like, wait, I f- oh, whoa. Yeah, so that was, like, a, a nice twist you guys came up with. I forget I forget how we came up with it, but honestly, like, it, it's a twist that is surprising, but kind of makes sense, and it's it's not something we haven't done before. Like, I was just, before we recorded, listening to your interview last week, or with Samantha Mathis about the Woody Allen episode, yeah. which I also co-wrote. And uh, and she, by the way, she's incredible. I just loved working with her. And that's another one where like- Well, and her, you had a West Wing person, right? Isn't Bradley, Bradley Whitford? Bradley Whitford. Yeah, that was- <laughs> and then I guess I should also say anyone from Arrested Development I was obsessed with too. Yeah. So Tambor. But also, you know, you have an actress like Celia Keenan-Bolger, you know she's not just going to be the sister that's in one scene. She's incredible. And that was the twist where she had been abused by the... So it's yeah. actually the same the same twist that we reused. But it is a good one and it makes sense. Oh, yeah. I mean, SVU reuses a twist and I'm still totally like, what? Like, yeah. you know, it's his sister. I mean... It's- Were you there? Why do I always forget his name? Buster, what's his real name? Oh, Tony From, Hale. Were you there for Tony's episode? Yeah, yeah. Was that yeah. a big deal? Okay. <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't write that one, so I didn't get to like chat with him too much, but I like did walk down a hallway with him and I said hi and I was like, I love the rest <laughs> yeah, of the He's so yeah. great. How much <laughs> yeah. do you like chat with the actors like when you write an episode? Do you like say, say like here's what we're thinking here or like let them interpret it themselves or like what's the If I'm on set and it's my episode, as long as they want to, you end up chatting with them a lot. Like if they want to ask questions about the script, I'm all about that and I yeah. love to answer. And, you know, you're sitting around when you're on set a lot. They're they're turning the cameras around, there's breaks. And so you if the actor doesn't run to their dressing room, then you're sitting with them for a while. So uh so yeah, there there's quite a bit of that. I love I love doing that with that. Any That's any like, faves besides your West Wing people specifically that you can remember? Well, yeah, I mean there's there's all the West Wing people. There was uh she wasn't in my episode, but Donna from the West Wing, Janelle Maloney was in an episode. There's a lot of West Wing alums who I was like <laughs> obsessed with. But you know, this is like a easy answer, but it is the true answer is like I was a I was a huge fan of Raul Esparza before I got to the show. And then 
we cast him like uh, pretty quickly into the time I was there. And I was so excited and very starstruck. And he's just so down to earth. And I didn't talk to him too much. He, I think he came in season 14, not season 13, right? So there was a year he wasn't there. And then season 14, I didn't talk directly with him much the first half of the season because I'm an assistant. You know, I want to be in the background and do the job right and not get in the way. But then I wrote that one girl dishonored. And so then I'm sitting on set and he had questions for me. And that was really the first time we got oh, to talk. Wow. And, and it was like, you know, as e- equals, so yeah, to speak. Yeah. Even though I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, it's Raul Esparza <laughs> asking me real questions. But like I had written it. So I had thought about this stuff and done research and answered questions. And we chatted about what, you know, what these courtroom scenes were about. And like, I just remember, I remember that day so vividly. Oh, uh, like that's I can, awesome. I can picture where we were sitting and just being, getting that experience with Raul. And then like from that point on, we were, we were very close and he's one of my favorite people in the whole world. Oh, amazing. I love that. So that's a, that's a do meet your heroes story. I like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and, have, and should I jump? Can I jump in on Meet Your Heroes about Mariska? Or oh, do you want yeah, to save yeah. that for later? Go right please, ahead. Go no, right ahead. Because if I'm gushing about Raul, I should just briefly say, like, she, I, I was a fan of the show. She is everything that people say about her. And then some, she's just the, she's like a genius actress. Like, I think she can do anything. But she's also just the kindest, warmest person she like took me under her wing. Like sh- once we got to know each other, just like so supportive of me. And I I, I could go on and on for the entire uh, episode, but she's just like, she is the number one on the call sheet of that yeah. show. She, and, and she's the best. Like I, I, I don't know how it could be much better than that. Like she sets the tone. The tone on that set is so great because of her and she fixes, she knows how to fix problems on the set. She knows how to talk to actors, whether she's directing or not. Like she knows who to go to, to, to get what done, what needs to be done. And she's just like the kindest, nicest person. <laughs> Pretty magical. Have you met baby Coco Chanel? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <Baby> Chanel. <laughs> she was around uh, the set a bit when I was there. She was pretty young. Like I haven't, you know, T- spoken with her. <laughs> yeah, I think she's only like six now, but um, yeah. <laughs> um, I have a question like regarding decline and fall because, you know, you did so kindly share your research with me and I loved that because I was like, oh, these are probably articles I would have found, but you just like did the work for me. And, Happy to. Um, and like, so I'm curious about how the show is so based on real stuff. Sometimes you see that card at the beginning that says, this does not depict any real people. A couple times we've seen episodes that say even like while this episode is based on a real event or person, we have changed it, blah, blah, blah. How much of a real story? Is there like a certain amount? Like, you know how the WGA, it's like if you write a certain amount of lines, you get the credit for being the writer. Like how much of it has to be pulled from real life where you guys have to do that card at the beginning? Like the disclaimer. 
Yeah, and I also saw an episode recently where the card was at the end. It was like an early season episode, and it was like the preceding story was fictional. Yeah. Not based. I'm like, why did it go at the end instead of I at like the that beginning? at the end. It's like, we know what you're thinking. Stop. It's not that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I have absolutely no insight into the title card of it all. Like, I don't know why they're sometimes there, or sometimes not. No clue. Must be a legal thing. And okay. Possibly related to like different legal people each season making a different decision. We got to get one of the lawyers on the show. I yeah. need my answers to my I questions. Can, I can connect you. But I will say you. we did have to like chain. Sometimes we would send a script over and the legal department would say, this is a little too close to the story. You have to change something. And it would always be a change that like any person with a brain can see through and knows that's why we're changing yeah. that thing. But like we still just had to do it just so we don't get Because like the Woody Allen episode is such the Woody Allen episode. I mean, like there's no way, you know, like there's so many episodes. But then that at are... the end, there's that Polanski twist where he leaves town. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Well, actually, some sometimes by combining two stories, that's how we got away with it being oh. different. Um, yeah, the Woody Allen is like, no, he's a TV director, not a film <laughs> yeah, director. Yeah, yeah. Very different. Um, he's not yeah. Jewish in this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, when do you, so is combining stories just for legal or something like American Tragedy? I think you were wondering that where it was like, Paula Dean and um, Trayvon Martin. Like, how how do you decide what goes together and what doesn't? Most of the time, we made those decisions not for legal reasons, but just for creative choices. Like, like this would be a cool mashup, or like thematically, it makes sense, or it heightens the drama of both of these stories to kind of put them together. I can't. I don't know if that exactly applies to the Paula Dean. Trayvon Martin episode. Yeah. Uh, I'd have to rewatch it to see if that was the right choice. But but yeah, like, you know, we we liked to do that and just like, you know, create as much conflict as you can. Um I think it it helps out with the legal stuff a little so that it's very clearly not the exact same storyline. Sure. Um, but I don't think we did those like for that reason. It was more like, what if we combine these? That's a cool episode. And like, so sometimes when we're doing these, we always like look at, you know, when the story happened versus when the episode happened. And sometimes it's like four months. Like sometimes it's so quick, like a story hits the news and then it's on, it's airing on television like four months later. Yeah. Was there, do, you, do you ever remember a time where they were like, oh snap, like, hurry, hurry. <laughs> Ramsey just happened. Like get, like write it up. Like was, you know, was there ever like that kind of thing? Yeah. Oh, that happens all the time. <laughs> and it's like, oh, you've been working on your episode for months. You're getting pushed back a month because we have to do this one faster. That that may have been one of them, the Paula Dean thing. Um, oh, I remember like, the you just mentioned it on an episode, the escape from Danamora thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think we did, I think we did one about that that was you sure pretty did. quick. It wasn't it a Chicago crossover episode or something? Yes, and he it escaped. was. It was. I, f- I feel like that was a pretty quick one because that was like a huge story that everyone was captivated by and spawned its own entire series. Yeah. Well, not only that, you know what everyone always requests from us is the fucking William Lewis episodes. And to us, it's like, well, we're scared and we don't want to watch that. Like, <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. how is that as a 
crew making that, seeing like, you know, Olivia Benson in that situation, like those episodes are fucked up. And, you know, he's burning his fingertips. That yeah. Like yeah. they all our listeners want it. And we're like, Mm-mm. we're not ready. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we'll do it eventually. We just need yeah. to like work our way up. <laughs> Series finale. Um, yeah. And it's not really based on like a specific real story either. It's no. based on like what is the worst possible thing that could happen to Olivia Benson, basically. Um, it, that was intense. I like, I, I didn't write that, but I was on set for a lot of the kidnapped in the house episode. Like I was out and we were out in Long Island on this really pretty house and really pretty property by the beach. And like, it was c- kind of a nice day, except that we're recording this stuff. And it, it was really intense. Like Mariska, when I say she can do anything like that was an example. She got really into it and did a lot of work, you know, to prepare for that. And that those days on set were not like the, you know, fun, easy, light hearted days. Like, you know, cause the tone gets set from the top and she was in it. Like she was yeah. in it during that episode. And so every, you know, it was almost like everyone was very sensitive to that those days on the sure. set. And it was a little bit of like, you know, for good reason, walking on eggshells. Like, we want to be sensitive to what we're shooting and get this right and, like, you know, really portray it, but also make sure everyone on the cast and crew is okay. Uh, And so we had a lot of, like, safety talks those days and just, like, everyone was in in that mindset. And it was tough. Um, Yeah. Probably for Mariska the, the most. Um, but you know, you watch it and it's pretty, pretty fucking real. Yeah. And then for you, do you have any episodes that like stick in your mind from like either researching or writing where you were like, wow, like this case is like fucking with my mind. (laughs) Like this, like, you know what I mean? Like some, like an episode that haunted you or a real life case that kind of stuck with you. Yeah. A lot. Like (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I haven't slept in 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I will like, I will say like, the for you guys too, even talking about these episodes so often, like it does take a toll on you. And no, our schedule is based on that, so we can get like a week or two breaks in between research because there yeah. are some that are just like, I yeah, I don't, I can't do this. Yeah, yeah, it's it it is difficult, and it's like you don't realize it sometimes how much it's affecting you until you stop looking right. at it for a while and like. When I was at SVU, all my friends and family used to send me any story they saw that could be for the show. They would email it to me. I used to be like, okay, cool. Like, you're helping me with my work. And then when I left the show, they would still do that. And I immediately, I was like, please stop sending me this stuff. I don't want to read anything. I don't have to. I'm taking a break from this. And like, it, it really did clear my mind in a way. I mean, I know it's important work we're doing to expose this stuff and talk about it and change rape culture. But like you are really thinking about these real horrible things that happen to people and it's difficult. Yeah. Um, so it, yeah, it takes a toll, but I, there, I feel like the one that haunted me the most was like, we did child porn stuff. We had to do a research of child porn and like learn about it. And uh, uh, that stuff was I took it home with me and there was one episode, I think it was another Chicago crossover maybe where like they found a dungeon with child porn on the 
wall, you know, child porn photos everywhere. And like, obviously we're not using real child porn, but for the shot, you have to make it look like it's something. You can't just show nothing. So we had to actually like shoot those pictures with over 18 actors, but making it look like yeah, porn. And like, that was probably the worst day of of the job was I was on set for that photo shoot. And, you know, even though they're over 18 and they've, it's a job and it's acting and it's consensual, just to like think about what you're creating and everyone knows that's what is happening. It just was so icky. Yeah. Um, I didn't like that. We've covered Downloaded Child and some other episodes that deal with like, you know, child sex abuse images and stuff. And like, it is something about that just because it seems so vast and there's just like, it is whack-a-mole. Like there's just, you can try to get rid of it as much as you want, but it's like, it's just, you know, so there is something kind of dark, really dark about that. But have you ever been in like casual hangouts with friends and then you start talking about what you you researched all day and they're like, can you stop? That <laughs> happens to me where um, I just will stop, start talking about stuff and not realize that we're at a fun gathering. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. All the time. All the time. Especially when I was working there, like I, I had I had no filter about this stuff because we talked about it at work all yeah. the time. And And at the, you know, in the writer's room, like, you kind of have to joke about it sometimes because otherwise it's just too heavy. And like, we we don't put those jokes in, like, but like, you have to. And then I would sometimes repeat some of those jokes to friends and they're like, what the fuck are you talking? Like, no, no, no. (laughs) And I had to remember, but, but thankfully once I left, I've, I, that, that went away pretty quickly. (laughs) Yeah. Are there any um, episodes that you pushed hard or cases that got rejected? It wasn't really mine, but I supported this episode. But there was like, there was an episode we were calling Fractured Chakras. Count the letters and you can figure out what season that was. (laughs) Uh, And it was like, it was that yoga guru guy who was like a cult leader, blanking on his name. But, oh, it was the hot... It's the hot yoga guy. Yeah. Not, he's not hot. It's hot yoga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Bikram, Bikram. It's Bikram. Yeah. I think. And uh, we, we were going to do an episode where the women he abused um, broke his penis, which I thought was kind of a fun <laughs> way Oh, I to have go a friend that. who had his penis broken and he loves to talk about it. Oh, really? Yeah. He's oh. like in medical, no, medical textbooks. Is he okay? <laughs> yeah, he's fine. He has a little scar. He'll show anybody. <laughs> I think we ended up not doing that episode because nobody wanted to think about that. a broken penis. Yeah. That's yeah. really funny. <laughs> Robert, we have to ask you, do you have any feelings on Releasey? Uh the Rollins and Carisi relationship? Did you was that always a plan that it was gonna have endgame or what? Were they like, oh, we never got to give them El- Elliot and Olivia, so now we're gonna give them these two? Or like, was there any talk of that? <laughs> It's funny. They're together now on the show, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. 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 Interesting. He's a stepdaddy. <laughs> he's always wanted. <laughs> um, and did you know that I co-wrote Intent, which you've Uh-oh. also covered? Yes, where they where she rejects <sighs> where him at almost... that motel. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, because yeah. I actually interrupted Kara because she was talking about it, but she doesn't think Carisi's hot. I do. And I was like, you need to shut up, Kara, and I'm gonna take over this part. <laughs> because the rejection really uh 
was really tough. <laughs> um, but I just yeah. don't think she was ready to let love into her life. You know, she's had a tough upbringing and like I, I just got her journey and not accepting what he was giving. I understand that. I'm sorry, Kara, that you can't see how I can't he is. see him. <laughs> you know what? I think he's toned down his accent, but when he first came on the scene and he was like, hey, Rollins, like I was like, I can't with this guy. I brought guy. some cannolis. I brought yeah, cannoli. like, yeah. Um, my name's Sunny. Like, I was like, it was too much for me. It was like cartoony, yeah. but I think he's really calmed it down, especially now that he's an ADA, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I he he's definitely very cute. I would put him in the cute category. I don't know quite about hot, but yeah, Ooh, I can okay, see. Okay, okay. Intent was good, and that guy. Who's the main guy in that? Because I love him from Shameless. He was great. That episode was kind of fun. You guys covered that one really well. Oh, thanks. I mean, the true crime of that is so wild. It's like we I just know. had to. We and had. I to made hit sure Kara didn't research it. I was like, "Don't look into this yeah, at all. Like, I, let me fucking. I was tell blind. you the tale because it was. Oh, such and a, by, oh, oh, Steve Howie. Was, uh, Steve Howie. Yeah, Steve Howie was great. He was really fun to work with. And okay, before I answer your Ralisi question about intent, there. When I listened to your episode, I wanted to add something which was, you know, you talked about that hashtag, who is the hand? Um, and yes. you were like, this is a little bit of a weird hashtag. And it's like, but I get it. It's what, Insta you know, TikTok or Instagram people do. That was kind of an Easter egg that I slipped in there because <laughs> I don't know if you remember season 15 or something, maybe. she Marishka went to Paris and she was on a flight with, and there was like a hand. Yeah. And it was like, who? And, and in real life, we hashtagged from the writer's room account, who is the hand? And we were like teasing who is the hand oh. in SVU. So then four years later, we had a new showrunner who wasn't there for who is the hand, but I was there and I was like, okay, we need a plot device where we see that the character has tattoos because that's the clue we need. Right. But we don't see the character's face. Okay, she does an Instagram post and with his hand there and says, Love who it. is the hand? So that was kind of a, a inside joke for the SVU diehards out yeah, there. Yeah, this is but the now dirt it's become that we a real need. thing. Yeah, because now it's like the soft launch of a relationship where it's like two beers on a table. Like it is kind of now, was, SVU is always ahead of the curve. Yeah, And so. I do feel like now that is an official like thing that you do when you first start hooking yeah, up Yeah, because that someone. Christmas episode that we did, she's on her way to the Bahamas and I think it's Cassidy that's the hand. We don't yeah, know yeah. for sure, but yeah. like we were led to believe that it's Cassidy. Do you have a favorite Mariska boyfriend lover moment? Like, is there someone that you liked her with or who you see her with eventually or not at all? Yeah, I mean, well, I really liked Harry Connick Jr. I thought that was oh, kind of fun. So does Karen. Same. Okay, okay. But like, in terms of my end game, had I stayed at the show, I was a big Tuxin fan. Yeah. I just thought the evolution of her and Tucker was so cool <sighs> and made a lot of sense. And like... I, you know, I I didn't love how Tucker was portrayed in the early seasons, and I loved how he evolved, and that made so much sense to me. And then it made sense that they would really connect in that deep way. So, yeah. you know, too bad he died. <laughs> and then Ralisi, you're Ralisi. into. And Ra okay, so Ralisi, I was always into, but I will, but like, I don't know. I don't know if it's my favorite romantic relationship, because like, I always kind of saw it as like a brother sistery relationship. And actually, in intent, I'm pretty sure I was the reason that they didn't just hook <gasps> up. Like the other, the, we had new, uh, but my co writer was also new that year. And I think he was pushing for 
them to hook up. And I was like, ah, I don't know if I see it. I think they're like more brother sistery, and it should be like almost, but then they don't. And so they're also I don't not going to do it. Worse, that was me. They're not going to do it for the first time in a motel in West Virginia. I know that. Like, I yeah. that's that's not the fantasy. I don't think for anyone, but. That's hilarious. You are, oh my gosh. You're I the feel cock like block of intent. You're a releasey <laughs> cock blocker. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. That was me. I also think I secretly and, and also eventually not so secretly wanted to have Carisi come out as bisexual because because I am bisexual. And it just like made sense to me more than any other character on the show. But that never happened. Okay, well, I wanted to ask you this because I he did should be with see... Barba. That's what I want. Yeah. Carisi and Barba. Barisi. I forgot. You That's want what I wanted. Ah. Yeah, want I wanted well, Bar-E-C. this is what I was going to ask you because we saw that you have a podcast called Two Bye Guys. You want to shout uh-huh. out the podcast, obviously. And um, we we have received from a lot of our listeners a theory that Raul Esparza was playing Barba as bi. Do you have any thoughts on that? Is that true? Is that like a good, like a cool theory, but no fact or like, because I, because when you said brother and sister, it reminded me of how I used to feel about Olivia and Barba. I always, people are like, I love them together. And I'm like, I just thought that they were bro and sis. Like I never saw the, I never saw the chemistry sexually between them, but other people obviously do. Totally agree with that. And I think Barba and and Benson have, perhaps a closer relationship than many romantic partners have. Like, it's so Mm -hmm. deep and they, like, really have a deep understanding of each other. But I agree, it was always more professional slash brother-sisterly and I I didn't see the the spark there of romance. Um, And in terms of Barba being bisexual as a character, like, I know that Raul identifies as bi and he... Is, is very much that character. And I think that's a fair way to read it. But I also know that like, that the actor kind of didn't want to be the bi DA on a law and order. Like he didn't want to be the queer DA. He wanted to be the DA. Like, yeah. the, the rich the DA. Lo- yeah, the, <laughs> yeah. The rich, weird, aloof. Uh, Skiing in Gustav Hyper intelligent. <laughs> yes. And so like, he, you know, we didn't, ever want to like make that a big part of the character and for fear it would take away from other aspects of the character. Uh, You know, looking back, I don't, I I was never out as by at the show. I came out during my last year there to my friends, but I was never out at work except to a few people who were also queer. Um, But I came out publicly like within a month or two of leaving the show. Um, and and I think I might have a different view on it now of like, it doesn't take, like that wouldn't necessarily take away from the character, in my opinion. It would add add a new layer. But I also can understand how like not everyone watches the show that way or looks at it that way. And like once a character comes out as queer, there's a segment of the at Law & Order audience that is going to view them as an other and as different. And so there is something to be said for like, a queer actor playing a character that certainly could be queer, but not being explicit about it and kind of bringing viewers in to what, what that kind of a person is like and what that experience is without hitting them over the head with it. So like, I don't know exactly how I feel about it. It's a very complicated question because of what the show is and how big it is and who the fans are. Um, Sure. But 
But I kind of wish there was more of talk about queerness and main characters who are queer on on the show. Yeah, I think yeah. we Kat was, and then they ditched her after a season. And I know. I, we didn't understand that. And we also talked I, to yeah. B.D. Wong, um, and I know he was before your time, I think, on the show. I don't think he came back yeah. any of your episodes, but like he was talking about how his character kind of was just like served a purpose and like never really had more of like a personal life or like a identity. Yeah. And he kind of wished that it had a little bit. So that's interesting. Right. I met BD once. He was in one episode during my time there. He came back for, you know, a special guest star. And yeah, I always thought that was kind of weird. He like came, his character came out right before he kind of left the show. Yeah. And like, I don't know. I, I do think it's such a mainstream network show that there's always like a little bit of a fear of alienating fans with queerness. But obviously I think that times are changing and we should not be, we should not be like following audiences, uh, fears and discomfort. We should be exposing them to queerness and queer people to normalize these things. So it's just like very funny to, to that. There are people that are like, I watch this show for the rape and the murder. I'm not here (laughs) for all this gay stuff. Like, what are you, you know, like we used to get that a lot of like critiques of our podcast at the beginning was like, I didn't come here for your politics. It's like, this is a show about crimes against women and children. Like it is inherently political. Like we're not yeah. going to not talk about... We, I don't know if there's a way to keep this, like, you know, bipartisan. No, it's strange, because also um, with the... When they had the Black Lives Matter episodes, Twitter, people were really mad about it. And like, and then it's like, no, all the episodes are based on the news. If you're only upset about the sudden Black Lives Matter news, like, you need to look inward, because yeah. it's always been this with what's happening yeah. in the world. But it enraged people. Um, the COVID season that it, t- it dealt so much with race and internal racism within the department. I don't know. Yeah, it it's a it's a tough thing to balance. And it is because it is like a very political show. Like it's about the criminal justice system. It's about sex crimes and sexual assault, which are things that are, hot, you know, hotly debated in our politics for for worse. Like there yeah. shouldn't be debates about these things, but there are. And like, it's a tough balance because like, I know, you know, Warren, if you follow, who's the showrunner now, and for most of the time I was there, he's really progressive. If you follow him on Twitter, you'll see he's like really progressive and, and, you know, fighting for the kind of things I agree with and the kind of things you talk about on this podcast. But then you must know that there's a big section of the SVU audience who doesn't see things that way. And when you zoom out a little to the Law & Order franchise and a lot of stuff that happened last summer and Black Lives Matter movement and the George Floyd protests, like, it isn't that difficult to see how the entire franchise contributes to this myth that police are doing the right thing and police are capturing criminals and protecting victims Mm. and we should be funding them. And Olivia Benson, you know, your Olivia Benson in your town is going to do the right thing. We're like, that is not actually what most cops are like and not how the system often works. And like, the show is kind of a best case scenario. And in, and even, and there's like value in that. There's value in showing people how it should be done. But there's also some harm in making people think that's 
how yeah. it is. We always say talk about it that it's a fantasy. We're like, this is a fantasy yeah. of the justice system. Of course, like it's not. I mean, once in a while, Olivia's chasing down a perp when a when the a, the victim's not even pressing charges, and she's like, I yeah. think I'm gonna still work on this on my free time. Like it's like you know, obviously, a lot of it is not realistic, yeah. but and um, early so. seasons they did a good job of any cops outside of the unit were like so oh the panty police, you know, they were yeah. always so mean, and so. <laughs> I always did yeah. appreciate that they put down other um, cops. I mean, we've had you for eight hours. I'm so sorry. I know. <laughs> this, this has been, been like, so we could truly fun. talk to you for a full other hour, but we should probably yeah. wrap it up and let you get well, back wait, to you. Can I say one thing about please? that, too? And yes. You, and well, I want to know... Yeah, go first. Go first. Well, I'll also, ju- also just on that topic, I'll say, like, one of the things I got to do as a researcher and also a writer was work with a lot of our technical consultants. So we had, like, former sex crimes cop, a former sex crimes DA, medical examiner, other stuff. And like, they were great and they help us kind of figure out how to do the show as accurately as as we can. But most of the time, I would say how, you know, what if this happened? And the experts would say, well, that wouldn't happen because of this and this and this. Or like, they would settle before it got to this point. Like, it would never go this far. And I'm like, yeah, okay, but how do, how could it happen? And so a lot of, you know, so much what you see on the show is like the one in a million extreme case. And it is accurate as to how that would happen if it ever did. But like, it never does. Right. So it's just like, it's kind of a, it is a fantasy show. Yeah, because we then do the research on the crime and so much of our research is, and then the cops decided not to investigate. They didn't do that. They didn't believe her. They actually threw her out and said, you're a dumb whore. You know, it's like (laughs) you're reading the research and you're like, oh my God, cops from coast to coast are just refusing to do their jobs in any capacity. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, is there an episode that you worked on and wrote that we should cover that we have not? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite um, ones that I wrote that was just like, if there's such a thing as a fun episode of SVU, this was the most fun, is called Assaulting Reality. Oh, no. And, obsessed. Uh, obsessed. The Bachelor. It's like, the, it's like, it's like Unreal. It's the Bachelor episode. Oh, yeah, I want, like we want to do that one and I want to get Wendy Malik. Yes. <laughs> Yes, Wendy Malik was so good, and uh, and her the, her counterpart in that episode was so good. I'm blanking on his name. He's the dad and from o- Family Ties, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm obsessed with her. Like I'm a Wendy Malik stan. <laughs> like yeah. I love her. And also, I fanboyed with this one was um, the girl, woman who played the younger producer, Larissa Olenek. Oh yes, she was Alex Mack. She was Alex Mack. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That episode, I think, is based, they said, on sexual assault from Big Brother, right? You told me that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There, we, isn't, there isn't a ton to talk about with that yeah. story, but there's a little bit, yeah. It's kind of based on something. And it seemed like it was kind of going on at the same time as Unreal was on and everybody was talking yeah. about Unreal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. we totally, in the writer's room, were like, we love Unreal. Me and the my co-writer on yeah. that one love Unreal. Can we do our version of unreal. It's also like, I thought that Decline and Fall was our version of Succession. I think yeah. I wrote that to you in an email. Yes. But then I but then I looked it up and it turns out our SVU episode aired before Succession started. <laughs> so... Well, that shit so happens either, all the time, though. I mean, like, sometimes we get, like, we'll research, like, something will happen on SVU and, like, the crime happens 10 years later. Like, a real crime that yeah. matches up with it exactly, like, happens 10 years later. Weird. It's really crazy. 
Is there anything you'd like to plug or talk more about your podcast or any final thoughts or words or anything? This has obviously been magical. <laughs> this has been lovely. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, my podcast is called Two Bi Guys. It's about like male bisexuality and gender fluidity. And like, I'm trying to get back on to doing television stuff too and writing a lot of stuff about that because I think... There's not that much out there about male sexual fluidity and masculinity. It's very like people have a lot of shame about this stuff like I did for a long time. Did you um, watch Insecure? And, yeah. I've they seen one like li- season one. Yeah, they had a yeah, baby yeah. storyline. That, that's all yeah. I could think of. And, you know, we do watch so much television. Yeah, there is a lot more the last couple of years. There was there was a storyline on I May Destroy You, too, that I thought was yes. interesting. Yes, yes. Um, there's, I love that and, show. And like Transparent is one of my favorite shows, although there's no male bisexual characters there, but there's a lot of, yeah. of good queer stuff there. Yeah, there's more. Can I, I have to ask you one final question that Lisa did put in the document and I thought it was silly, but now I feel like it could be a fun way to end this podcast and this episode, Decline and Fall. Have you ever tried Quaaludes? <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah, yeah. We for every episode I research, I always have oh, you to gotta you know, try the drug. Put myself in the place of the characters. <laughs> no, I haven't. Uh, but you know, I in the right consensual circumstance could be fun. No. Um, we are best friends with him now. I want everyone to know he did come to our live show in LA and we hung out with him until two in the morning. He's a wonderful man. And we drank in the green room and we're never going to reveal any of this, but we got off we got off the record scoop as well. So yeah. we are appreciative to Robert forever and I would like to go dancing with him. So hopefully yeah. he knows that's going to be forced upon him at any moment. Yeah, we'll be socializing with him at a future date for sure. No, it's incredible. I love hearing about um, all like, I like the process. I like the job. I like the work. I like hearing about the work. So yeah. Um, it was really fucking cool. And just yeah. natural. I don't know. I really liked him. And who knew that one tweet compliment would suddenly put two Jewish women into his life that he'll never <laughs> be able to shake away. So, well, I think he's also Jewish, but yeah, I just, I, I loved his insights and it's fun to hear how, um, you know, they combine the stories, how they find stories, you know, stuff like that. That's kind of the bread and butter of our podcast. And it was the casting, the defense attorneys, the subbing in and out. It's uh, who gets him excited, you know, a nice Arrested Development West Wing scoop. Send it Robert's way. He wants to know. Have you fucked someone from those shows? You you tell him. Uh, get into those DMs and give that info. Um, yeah, I like the also that no one can tell us this was based off the wrong crime <laughs> because he told us what crime it was based off of and gave me all of his information. So I loved that. I loved being able to uh, get straight out of the writer's room um, info. No, it's really wild who we get to talk to. It's It never really gets old for me. Yeah. Talented, passionate, cool people just really giving us their time. And I like that. Yeah. This is a this was a crazy episode. What did you feel like you gleaned from this? That crazy old rich white men are insane and should not be allowed to think that they are living forever. <laughs> and- Burn the rich. Burn <laughs> them to death everywhere. I don't care. Oh, is your uncle rich? Well, we're burning him. That's what. <laughs> And it's all just so deep. I mean, these postmortems with time are just so depressing. It's just like every week we're like, 
Well, well, I guess we learned everything's a nightmare and there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah. And next <laughs> week, join us. Um, no, and here's a, and here's an organization that's trying their best, but don't worry, they'll never truly solve anything <laughs> because the horrors of the world are ever, no. everlasting and changing. Listen, we can have a more upbeat postmortem. I think it's, I thought it was interesting to look at how Sumner Redstone's family life was like like working with your parents or working with a family member is so complicated and like how business just fucked up their relationship so much, you know? Like, I don't know, all these family conglomerates that are just like generations of inherited wealth and, and, you know, inherited power. It's like wild and so dysfunctional. Well, because I wonder if love is void in their upbringing so they don't value it in terms of interpersonal relationships. Like, if you're just judging people on like, who has what and who is what, and it's not deep or real, then like, you'll never be able to learn that, I don't think. I think then you marry another rich person with a title and then you have kids and you send them to boarding school and teach them how to be dicks. And like, that's why these people just lack empathy and understanding of the real world. They don't have it. They don't have it. Yeah, and I mean, sending faxes to and from your dad. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't know how you're doing it. (laughs) Like, oh my God, faxing. Um... But, you know, I mentioned a friend of ours got to go to that White Lotus resort and she just said it was silent rich families not smiling or enjoying themselves, just like existing in paradise with no excitement. And that that is is their lives. I don't know. That is sad, yeah. Because we all like want to be rich, but then the people that just are rich are not usually... Fran Lebowitz says it best about New York. She goes, you can't tell me a place with only rich people is the best place to be. It's just not true. You know what I mean? Like, a place with only rich people is not good. Yeah, that's a great quote. What's the what's the place that's really fancy in Europe? Monte Carlo, Monte Vista. Like, what is the... Monte Carlo, I think. No, but what's the one? Oh, Saint-Tropez? No, what's like... It's like Monaco, Monaco. 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 That's the wild one, right? Monte Carlo, I feel like, is supposed to be hot, but where even is that? I'm but like, is that in Monaco, maybe? Maybe. Yes, Monte Carlo is officially an administrative area of the Principality of Monaco. Yes, that's so, it. We were both right, and we're going to go party in Monte Carlo someday. No, I just want to... I, I want a coast where those little houses are all tight together and you're looking at like a village of tight houses that are up on a cliff. Like, that's yeah. what I want. That's, that's what I want. kind of what I'm looking at right now in a picture of Monte Carlo. Great. <laughs> but they're Great. like, that's, you know, I think you're talking about like, that was also like Portofino and like the Italian yeah. Riviera. Yeah. yeah. So beautiful. Oh, the world we got, has we went, a lot. We went right from eat the rich, kill all money to like where would we go on a great vacation if we had the money. <laughs> We're, you know what? We all contain multitudes and yeah. uh, we'd like to think about, you know, hypothetical vacations in our minds. Um, should I move on to this week's What Would Sister Peg Do? You know, this is our weekly segment where we give you guys a resource uh, about something to give you more knowledge about something we learned in today's episode. And I thought it was kind of interesting how this teen in the in the show kept being like, oh, it's true. Like, you do have to, like, get a girl to sign a contract to kiss her these days. And, like, he'd been taught all these shitty uh, views of consent and and 
and, you know, what it means to initiate romantic contact with someone. And so I think that that starts when they're really young. So I was uh, looking around and I found this place called the Child Mind Institute. And we'll have a link in our show notes as usual and in our Instagram story. But um, they have a guide on how to talk to kids about consent and boundaries. And it's a downloadable PDF that explains what it means to get consent before sex. So this is probably for those of you that I don't know, maybe your kid's on the the pu- pre-puberty way, like uh, age or something, because I don't know that I need to be showing this PDF to Rosie right now, but you know what I mean? Like, for so that they're getting consent before sex, they understand that like, oh, a sex act is like two people mutually having a good time. Like, no one should be sitting there frozen, not speaking, you know? I think that, you know, it's really important to teach teenagers about consent and the necessity of consent being verbal. And so, um, you know, it's awkward conversations, but they're ones that we have to have. So this is a handy dandy little PDF that will um, help you with that convo. So check that out. And as always, All of our What Would Sister Peg do's from all time are in our highlight WWSPD on our Instagram. Amazing. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, consent is important. It's so weird that rape is just part of our culture for thousands of years. Like, just no big deal. It's like, oh my God. But yeah, so I'm really um, hopeful for all these children learning all these new ways to uh, respect humanity. Anyways, next week we'll be doing a silly episode. Send in the clowns. Send in the clowns. Fun, fun, fun. Season 19, episode 17. It's a wild one. Buckle up. It's fun. Cannot wait to talk to you guys next week. Thank you for always listening. We appreciate it so much. XOXO. Yeah, talk to you guys next week. Bye-bye. Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmessedappod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmessedappod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Annalise Nelson. And to our mixer, John Bradley. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Listen, follow, and leave us a review on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can listen to new episodes one week early on Amazon Music or early and ad-free by subscribing to Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Dun-dun! Dun, dun. Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.